Welcome to Iron Sights. This podcast candidly seeks to create opportunities and deliver impact by sharing the experiences and wisdom of successful entrepreneurs and thought leaders who unapologetically aim to win in health, fitness, business, and life. I'm your host, Scott Howell. Welcome to Old School Meets New School. Tradition meets innovation and imperfection meets excellence. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Well, here we are. Welcome back to the Iron Sides Podcast. One of my very good friends in the studio again. Uh, I feel honored. Mike Salemi, welcome to the show. Dude, thank you for having me back, man. Uh, you promised me that you would you would allow allow this to happen again, and uh, we've we've done it. And um, today we're going to dig into sort of an experience that the two of us had, and uh, kind of unpack it a little bit. And we were just talking a little bit that this hasn't been done by you or I uh, since our trip the sacred hunting trip we did with our man, Monsal Denton, just about three, it's about three weeks ago now. I can't now. believe how much time, relatively speaking, how fast it feels, but also how much time has passed. I feel exactly the same way. And there's been probably people, you know, a lot of people knew I was going. And so they, they came back and, you know, when I came back after being gone for, I could sort of extended the, the, the trip a few days ahead of time. And we'll talk about why I have to do that <laughs> and Smart why move. I did that. <laughs> yeah. Smart move. But but uh, they can't, you know, when I came, I was like, hey, man, how was the trip? And I was like, it was amazing. It was a really great trip. And, of course, they want to know the details, you know. Uh, well, you went hunting, so <laughs> was, you know, what was the success level like? And, I, you know, my answer has basically been very generic. But it was a very successful, very rewarding trip. Um, and then, you know, we'll get into the, the pieces of that. But uh, I have not talked really to anybody about this. Um, part of it's been processing. Part of it's just been timing and whatever else, but I want to talk a little bit about how this trip, what, how this trip came up. So it was exactly the last time you were in the studio, which was the beginning of 2021 it was right there in the first. Yeah. It was like, I think it was, I recall almost exactly like um, mid to end or like end of February, something like that. And you remember that? Why? That was one of the most intense trips I was coming off of in my life. I was just coming back from Texas, uh, was on my first sacred hunting trip. Um, just had so much things happen on that trip. That was just my family was going through stuff. I was going through stuff. But when I came back was literally days after that. And so we had talked about it and I just let you know what happened, what went down and like, I'm going to set this up for our people. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, that was my, my question was like, how, how do I get in on this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I want in and I had been very disappointed in 2020 because the previous year in 2019, the end of 2019, we were doing some work here together and I believe you were filming uh, some stuff for kettlebell lifestyle at that point, And we had had an opportunity to connect and we had talked about Costa Rica mm. and so, and, 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 <laughs> essentially had an experience that I wanted to share and have there. It was after my combo experience with you. And I said, you know what, I'm, I, you know, I, I think I want to explore this further and I really want to be in, in a different kind of environment where I can really just, you know, disconnect from all the things I didn't have to come out of a ceremony and jump right back into, I don't know, like barrier traffic and red dot fitness and life and all those things. And that had been obviously didn't happen with the COVID you know, shut down and whatever else. So when you came back with this thing, I was like, wow, there's another experience. Mike is out there experiencing all this stuff. And you'd been out there with a really cool crew, crew of people. And I was like, that's how I want to, I want to do this. So, um, yeah, it was, it, and it finally happened. So it had been on my calendar for a very long time. You put the group together. Mm -hmm. Awesome group. There was, there were six of us, not including guides. Right. Right. 
So six people plus three guides, and we'll talk about the trip and kind of and, and what that looks like. But why don't you kind of maybe walk us through like what sacred hunting is or what the sacred hunt looks like kind of from a structural perspective. So p- give people a little bit of context about what we're going to get into. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to start off. And like, this is uh, a little bit of the structure, but also how I experienced it. Now, this was my second hunt ever. So the only times I've ever gone hunting have been with Monsel in this type of format. And so just like with anything, and as I'm learning and studying more about hunting and man, it's its own industry. Like it's massive and you can go through a million different rabbit holes of hunting and everyone's different approach to hunting. But at the end of the day, like I think one of the things that attracted me most to it was just wanting to be more connected with my food. And that's a big cornerstone to the whole experience. But basically we flew in this time to a different spot than I went in last hunt. So on my last hunt with Monsel, we did somewhere in West Texas. This time we were in South Texas, completely different terrain. But basically before you even get to this type of experience, Monsel has some preparation work. So whether it's, he's got a specific, really good podcast episode with him and Kyle Kingsbury. He's got a sacred hunting book. He's also got like an online prep program And that was one of the things that really spoke to me before going into this type of experience because it's the furthest thing from just showing up to kill an animal. It's like the furthest thing from that. That's a part of it, right? Death is a part of it. But basically from the preparatory work to setting the intention to really reflecting on why you're there to when we show up, like putting the cell phones away. Mm. That was something I think you touched on really briefly. Like I actually don't even remember when I haven't had a cell phone on me, even just to like check my alarm or just something like that, Whether even if I wasn't using it. I've been on retreats where I've put it away, but nothing like this. So no cell phone to getting there. And uh, typically what will happen is there's some type of opening ceremony because this is really where we're going to be incorporating ritual into the hunting experience, mm-hmm. making it sacred, making it more meaningful, making it something that we're going to take for the rest of our lives, hopefully. And so from like a blessing of the weapons as well, if you choose to, which was really special um, to cleansing and clearing and setting intentions and then different types of circles with different types of um, focuses around them. But then the hunting itself typically happened twice a day usually. But actually now that I rewind, one of the things I just recalled right when we got there, literally moments when we got there, we get out of the car, we don't even put our stuff into the place, into what the lodge, let's say. And there's an animal hanging up. Right. Within the first few minutes, it got real right away. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, I do. Dude. And uh, so right away, Monsel was walking us through how to break down an animal. And the cool thing was, was like, I, I did was a part of that on the last hunt, but I was going into the last hunt with so much things happening, happening to me just personally, emotionally and everything that I wasn't, I didn't get an animal last time. I honestly, parts of me were not there. And that's why I was so excited about this thing that literally I've been waiting for it for nine months and preparing myself emotionally, physically, mentally. And so when we first got out of the car and saw that animal hanging up and it was one of the boars from the prior trip, we were breaking it down together. And uh, I was like, oh, this is real. And so, you know, the schedule more or less looked like a morning hunt and evening hunt plenty of time for interaction and joking and stuff like Mm -hmm. that uh, with breaking down the animals in between. Um, Yeah. And I'll I'll let you take it from there. No, no. I mean, you're, you're, you're doing a great job outlining this whole thing. I I don't know if Monsel could have done a better job than you just did. (laughs) Uh, But the, I think the, 
some of the key key points there. This is very organized, and it's not. Yeah. And while it is very, in, in my experience coming in, this is much different than yours, uh, in in some but some similar ways. <clears throat> it it's not it's not just something you kind of show up and do, you know, and we're going to go out and kill, kill some deer today or, or kill some hogs today. It's not that you are setting an intention. And what I wanted to do on, on my trip was that very thing. And I didn't want it to be leisurely. Mm-hmm. Um, and while there's a sporting piece to this, like you have to be an outdoorsman of some, at some level where you want to be, it's not, it, there's, there's not a high level of that. It's not about trophies and, and walking away with, you know, to be able to come back and tell stories. Uh, that is not why I went. And I recognized right away I was in the right place when I got there because <laughs> we got right into, to the business end of things, which was, Hey, this is what happens after, right? Let's I mean, a lot of people think about hunting as oh, you go out and you sit in the woods somewhere, you sit in a tree stand or in a, you know, in a blind somewhere and you bait these things, these animals in and you shoot them. What's the sport in that? Mm-hmm. That wasn't what this experience was. And talk about that a little bit. And I hoped it wasn't going to be like that more than hoped I did my research and knew it wasn't going to be like that. So, um, which is a big reason why I went, I wanted, I wanted that, that component, but you, you've touched on the kind of the major, major points here. Couple, couple things, setting intention being a big one. You also talked about, you know, these circles where we kind of shared some things to set intentions and kind of get clear. I think that's, that was a big part of a big thing for me. Um, and I think whether you're sitting in a circle with, with a group of men, family members, whatever it happens to be before you're, you're doing anything of this kind of, kind of thing. There is something very, very valuable in that experience where you, you, where we, we did that actually before we went, right. We, we had a call with the guys that were going on the hunt and I want to kind of open that up a little bit because that was the first time like, okay, this is, I'm pre-experiencing what's going to happen when I get, when I get there again. And I've got to, I've, I've made arrangements. I bought plane tickets. I've got to get my weapon on an airplane. Uh, we've gone out and we've sighted in our weapons. You know, we've some, for some of you guys, you had brand new rifles that had never been fired before right. brand new optics. Like it's uh, what, you know, like, so we, we went through this whole other experience. There's all this buildup, all this buildup. And you're thinking about what are all the, what are all the tactics we're going to use? You know, what are all the equipment we have to have to make this a su- successful venture? Not maybe thinking about, the other bigger pieces, at least for me, but for you, you'd been on it and you, you kind of knew, but we got on this call, right. And, uh, we had had some homework or pre-work we were supposed to have done before we got to this call. And we, we spent 15 minutes on this call kind of talking to one another, but here was the big thing I took away from the call. What we were asked to do was in terms of connecting kind of with, with our intention and, and why we were going and then get, do a little bit of work before we went down, we were asked to maybe find a place in nature right to start this because that's kind of where we were going to start once we got there that's where we were going to be so how can we how can we begin this preparatory experience everybody was scrambling to try to find a spot in nature <laughs> right and you you were actually at your you were actually holding your own men's retreat yep. up in the mountains north of here uh, up near mount shasta right and I'm sure you came in sprinting in the door, right. To sit down, you know, at the table to, to take the zoom call. Right. And it was clear that some of the other guys were doing that too. And then there were a couple of us that were like, we had really planned this out. Like we were like, we're going to go find our spot in nature. Well, I live in like the downtown area. Right. (laughs) So I'm like, where the hell am I going to go where it's going to be quiet and I can kind of get into the zone and, and really start to do the work. I'm being, you know, I want to, 
put 110% into this. So uh, it's a little different for me, but I'm going to do it. <clears throat> so I went to a, lo- a local park thinking I could get away from somewhere. I found this nice quiet spot and it's kind of midday call. Not a lot of activity going on. You know, kids are in school, no commuter traffic. And I'll be damned if I didn't sit down and the leaf blower started going like, <laughs> and it was like, it was probably, yeah. you know, seven, 800 yards away, but I'm like, fucking leaf blower, right? I can't hear the birds anymore. Like, you know, the, the wind is gone, you know, the breeze is gone. I can't. So I got up and I moved to another section. Um, and when I sat down, I wasn't there 30 seconds and another one fired up in the neighborhood behind where I had oh found this spot. God. And I was just kind of going, this sucks. But it was all of a sudden, like it made it really real to me that trying to get away into nature and trying to find some solitude and to where you can just get away from the hustle bustle, at least where I live logistically or geographically, it's very hard to do. Mm. It's very hard to do. And that was a huge part of this trip going away where we were remote and we were remote and right away we knew we were, were remote because we were driving down dirt roads into the, into the back, you know, <clears throat> the back nine of this particular place. But one of the other guys on the call was having the same issue I was <laughs> like, he's like, so I, I'm out here in nature, but the leaf blower just started on the street. So there was some connection there already, but it, it just got very real that uh, it's very tough. You know, when you, you talk about connecting with your food, even to connect to nature for people these days, yeah, you take it for granted. So anyway, like going there and showing up and kind of being in this environment really kind of set the stage for, you know, the, the rest of the trip. Well, one thing that, you know, I know intentions are oftentimes very obviously personal to the individual. Um, and, you know, I had a few intentions for this retreat one of which that was really important to me. Would you mind or would you be open to sharing one or any of your intentions Absolutely. for going in? Okay. Absolutely. Go for it. So, so first was less of a connection to my food. I try to be, I understand the realities of the world we live in, um, you know, and the industrialization of our food and kind of where our food comes from. But I grew up uh, spending some time around the agricultural business mm. and family members that are deep into that and, you know, I've made careers and, you know, legacies in, in ag. Um, I also lived in areas of the United States where hunting uh, was a, it's not just a pastime. It's a thing you do to provide for your family. Mm. Uh, you uh, Living, I lived in Utah for some formidable years in my life where I can vividly remember animals being hung up in, you know, under decks or wow. in sheds or in barns or in farmhouses uh, being, you know, throughout the year uh, elk, deer. <laughs> I mean, I even saw some muskrat. I saw birds, turkey, fowl, ducks, all those kind of things. So that part of hunting and where the food comes from, from like the hunting perspective, I had a pretty good connection to in that sense. Now I had never deer hunted before this trip. Mm-hmm. I had been out for some other things, including birds, um, but um, not, not deer. So this was going to be my first actually deer hunting trip with all the things I've done. I hadn't done that. So part of it was, getting out and doing that and actually experiencing that part of it. Um, And I think just real quick, going back to the connection of food, I also am acutely aware of how your T-bone steak gets from the feedlot, (laughs) right. To under the cellophane wrapper at the grocery store. Um, You know, looking at, I know the process has gone through. I was actually this, I was actually an agribusiness major when I, when I, when I went to school for a bit. And so I had some actually, hands-on experience in some of the classes that I had to take um, and things I observed of part of that. So I I got that part of it too. 
but the intention was more to actually follow in the footsteps and, and, and honor the men in my lineage that did hunt on a regular basis. Um, some to provide for the family and some as more of a matter of sport, but it was about the brotherhood and the bringing together of the family and friends to go out and share the experience. And there wasn't a lot of time to do that. We had families and kids and there was logistics and jobs and stress and all that stuff. And, and as that was happening when I was growing up in these various places, my father, um, we'd moved effectively essentially to California where it was tougher and tougher to actually get continue to be involved. And when, when it was kind of happening at the, at the height for him, I was too young to go into the, to the areas that they were going into. And we're talking about the Wasatch mountains of, of Utah during elk season, which is you're exposed (laughs) and it's cold and it's rough. And you're, you're, and I I don't think my, my dad felt good taking me out into that, given the circumstance with one or two other guys, they were actually on horseback sometimes going out and and, and this stuff. So for me, it was about carrying on, you know, and, the last part of that was the rifle I used belonged to my uncle who was like a grandfather to me who handed it down to my dad. And between the two of them, it had been on several hunts and it had been successful several times. Um, and so I had finally come into possession of this rifle and I'd seen the rifle right many, many times. And it, it was a, it was a symbol for me of wow. all the things that I just described. And I thought much earlier in my life, I would have sort of taken that, the next step or that rite of passage and used it and gone. And it just never happened, you know, for whatever reasons. And so this was going to be my opportunity (laughs) to honor that again, honor that lineage, honor the men of my family experience this, this, uh, this outing and this, this, the whole experience, but also in using the rifle that then I can pass down to the men be, be, you know, behind me. So that was, that was my intention within the, within the trip. Wow. That is powerful, man. And I knew a little bit about that story when you first, I think when we showed up to, to first test the guns, uh, at your buddy's place. Mm-hmm. And so I heard a little bit and that gun is beautiful. Like just, and I remember it was taking you a while to get dialed in with it, right? Yeah. Because it, what it hadn't been. Well, so that, that gun had literally been sh- sitting for over 30 years. Yeah. Like it hadn't yeah. been shot. And so when, it, when my dad handed it to me. And then, and then when yeah. you were practicing, you're oh. like, it's all over oh, the place. It was. Like, What's going I on? I had to get a new optic for it. The optic <laughs> on it was all crusty and, you know, whatever. And so it's a it's a mid-70 series uh, Winchester 300 Magnum, which is kind of a classic hunting you know, caliber and weapon, but this is an original, it's wood stock. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of things out there are now uh, composite materials. So it makes them a little bit lighter. Um, you know, the, 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 the alloys that they're using for the muzzles and things like that are a little bit different. So this is a very classic looking, you know, bolt action gun that you might see like in a movie or something, you know, in an old and the Western. kick was pretty strong. On and that. it, def- it's got, yeah, <laughs> your shoulder, like so it you're has, not a small dude. And like, your sh- I remember you saying your shoulder was just sore as hell. Right? So it has no compensator on the end. Right. So there's <laughs> nothing like that blast is pretty, it's yeah, it gives a kick. And it was funny. I remember. So the first time I watched that, my dad fire that rifle, he took me out actually shooting for the very first time in my life. I was six years old. Wow. And, uh, he had a little 22 single, single, um, um, shot 22 that his father had given him when he was 10 years old. And he brought that to the range. Um, and he brought the, the, the 300 wind mag out to sight in for a hunt that he was going to go on. Mm. And 
he, he, of course, when we got there, I was anxious and he's like, you know, we'll shoot the 22 first. So he set the whole thing up and I shot. It was my first time I thought it was the greatest thing ever. I was like, I'm here with my dad. We're shooting guns, you know, like I'm hitting targets at 10 yards. <laughs> you know, thinking that that was like a for, forever distance away. And so, you know, he's setting up at, uh, at, you know, a hundred yard zeros and, and, or a hundred yard range to zeros, zeros optic. And I remember sitting next to him. He's like, here, hold the binoculars and watch where the shot goes, which I thought was cool just in and of itself. Wow. So I'm sitting like 12 inches from him. He sets up. <laughs> He pulls the trigger on that thing. And I remember I pract- I probably pissed my pants. <laughs> like I just did. I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect that. So, and then in subsequent shots, I watched that thing rattle my dad, who's a, at the time was a very big, you know, muscular guy, um, and really set him back in his, in his seat. It had a lot of kick. So going back to the, to the kick, I knew, I knew there was some amount of that. And I, I am out on the range very regularly with other types of rifles, but this one, this one woke me up and yes, it was off. I ended up having, I ended up putting about 25 rounds down range that day. And I woke up the next day. I couldn't lift my arm above my head. <laughs> it was, it was, it was pretty great. Well, even yeah. for like, you know, myself, my brother, uh, we had another buddy, Tyler. I think that was Tyler's first time shooting. I'd been shooting before, but not very much. Pedro was out there. Pedro was out there. I forget if Pedro, I think that it was actually maybe his first time shooting. That was too. his first time. Yeah, yeah. So you like, here's the thing. So I was shooting a 300 win mag, right? It is loud, right? Even with muzzle break and like e, that kick is strong. And I remember at the end of the day when me and you were talking, I was like shaking right. just because my nervous system was yeah. so right. fried. And a big part of it was just getting used to the sound, getting used to the feeling, just like looking through the scope. And we were just looking at targets, let alone not a an moving animal. an animal yet. Right. My adrenaline was just going through the roof. And literally I felt like I had done like a full day workout and just like my hands are shaking. I'm like, Scott, man, I'm pretty good, dude. I, think <laughs> I do remember that. I do remember the looks on faces as you guys were getting up from the shooting stands, the shooting tables and going, yeah, this is an experience in and of itself. And so when you put that together with what the next level of this, which is actually taking an animal's life yep. and again, and a not a perfect situation, these are, you know, steel targets or paper targets that are set up, you know, you're on a firm base, you're able to sit, take your time. There was some amazing coaches that day that we had out there. A couple yeah. of my friends are just, they're just nerds with when it, when it comes to long range or bulk <laughs> on shooting, plus all the other things they bring to the table with their cool equipment to, to site you in and, and set you up. It will, I remember going, well, if, if you had showed up to a shoot or to a hunt and we sighted in once we arrived in Texas, cause we had to put our, put our guns on airplanes and you never know things can get bumped around. And if you were showing up for the first time and had never shot one of those things before your, your level of success, I would actually say it's um, non-ethical, mm. right. To show up that's, and that's not, way of putting and it. not have that kind of experience. So if you're thinking about hunting, this is part of it. Like you're going to have to go out and really get comfortable with your weapon. Um, you know, prior to going out there and really get a good feel for, you know, what to expect because that, you know, that trigger nervousness or, or can, well, obviously it can be bad. Well, I remember like, so one of the times, one of the days actually on, I think on all the occasions, actually, I went out with Elijah, one of the guides. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I'd asked him was like, what's the safe distance? You know, like how far can we shoot? Mm -hmm. You know, we sighted in for, we did 100 or when we were practicing, I think we did 100, 200, 300. You guys were uh, going, no, you guys were going out to as far as 400, 400 on that okay. day, but I didn't think we'd be shooting anything. No, no, no. You know if you, you want to be probably be good within about a hundred to 
250. Yeah. Yeah. One to 200. And, and he was saying that, but he's like, you know, it so depends on the person. And so when they're getting sighted in and he was a part of that, when we first got there, he was like, I'm observing everybody and how, what their comfort level is with the gun. He goes, you know, even though, you know, between one and up to whatever, 200 yards is pretty reasonable. He goes, there's a few people I wouldn't even trust with 50 yards right. and I, because it's unethical and it's not right for, for that type of thing. So uh, I thought that was interesting, but I was so grateful that we did that first or that trip together because I got to get out a lot right. of a lot of the nerves. And even when we were sighting in, I was still nervous as hell. And the adrenaline, you got guys all there watching. Right. This shit's real. You're you're shooting off the stands as well, not right. just off the, the, the shooting table, sticks. Yeah, the right. shooting sticks. And I was like, oh man, okay. And uh, and and I and we went hunting that night. So like we're. We frying pan into the fr- fire, frying pan into the fire. Yeah. So it got, it got real, uh, real quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So again, that was sort of my intention and that brings in the rifle piece. Um, and you know, again, the men of my family and kind of how this whole thing came together and it's such a great time in my life to be able to do this. But I wonder in, if you're comfortable sharing your intention and you mentioned getting connected to your food, but I just wonder if there was anything beyond that. Yeah. Um, you know, the last, I think for me, it was such a, a comparison consciously from the last time, the last time I was going through a lot of personal stuff. It was difficult for me to be present with what was going on. And so over the last nine months, I've just really, really done meditation, reflection, journaling, whatever you want to call it while I'm out in nature, while I'm drumming, like envisioning this hunt as if it's already happening and my main intention was to want to be as present as possible for every part of it. I think the first hunt for me, even though I didn't get an animal, for the first hunt was more about like the food aspect and really just seeing where my food comes from because I didn't have the the same upbringing that you had. Actually, you know, I don't think I even went hiking with my family till I was like 22 or wow. something like like, wow. like something ridiculous. I, a friend took me on one uh, camping trip with his family growing up, but it was more like uh, car camping, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I never really spent time in nature. And even though well over 10 years ago, I really wanted to get closer to the food that I was eating. So I would buy a full cow. I had called multiple farms. and I was like, Hey, I want to be a part of a slaughter. Like I want to go, I want to see this thing because really the only, my only experience is through that cellophane package. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they're just, I always knew that there was more in Paul Check, one of my mentors, had always encouraged me to do that, and uh, but no one would let me go, liability or whatever it was, and right. so I've been waiting for this for years, and so my intention though for this one was really to be as present as possible with the guys in the group, to be as present as possible. If like even though I'd already seen in my vision the animal that I was going to get or that I thought I was going to get. Mm. Um, I just wanted to be as present as possible with every single moment and just experience it to its fullest. So that was my, my main intention going in was just for presence. Yeah. You were getting kind of the extra experience there. I imagine there was a little bit deeper connection to it because you had your brother there. Oh yeah. Right. So, so Sebi was there and being part of this now, had he ever hunted before? No, no, this was, this was a really, like, and I think all of us, like we've got all responsibilities, you know, we got all got jobs and, and he's really, you know, the back, one of the main backbone of our family business. And so for him to leave, especially in a time where he is just slammed right now and it, it, it's a big, big thing. And even, even to the extent when he was, when I was meeting him at the airport, so we drove separately, um, his wife basically brought him, I think Lauren had dropped me off. And so when we were meeting at the terminal, 
I was like, how you doing, bro? And just checking in with him. Right. And he was even having doubts up to that moment. He's like, man, I just don't know if I should be here. I feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Like I'm leaving the business. And I was like, look, you're here. Like you're here. Let's, let's, you're going on this thing. We're doing this. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I know. I know. It's just one of those things where all those thoughts go through, you know, right. he, I knew he was going to go right. Like, but at the same time, it's a big sacrifice to leave work and to separate and to, to go out and, and, and really not know exactly what you're getting yourself into. So to share this whole experience from start to finish with him is like what was magical. Yeah. I mean, I watched it happen. Mm. Uh, there was a, there was certainly a, a different connection and Sebi to me is kind of a quiet guy, Yep. but there you, the guy is always, there's very observant. Like <laughs> um, he's just kind of watching and taking it all in. And when, whenever he has something to say, it's always very meaningful and well thought out. And I really appreciated that about his contributions to my experience, particularly the, just in particular to this trip. But you mentioned all the things that are going on and setting intention ahead of time. Like I knew this going in, right? And I, I also knew, I also know this about me that it takes a tremendous amount of work. You talked about journaling, meditation, uh, getting into nature, and just trying to prepare yourself mentally and physically and emotionally for the trip and to fulfill or, you know, experience the things that you wanted to fulfill and experience. Uh, for me, I have a really hard time dropping into these kinds of, of things. And mm. it, it could just be like a, a a family vacation or, you know, a weekend away. I am always switched on. It's called a character flaw. I, I mean, I think it helps me in some areas of my life, <laughs> but it actually, you know, it's very, it's very distracting. It can really get in the way of other areas of my life, including something like this. So, you know, knowing that we were going to be essentially going right into this trip on a Friday, I planned to get down there a couple of days earlier. I, there were some loose ends I needed to tie up from an equipment perspective. You know, when you travel out of state, you have to have proper licensure. Uh, you have to have, you know, certain things and it's different everywhere. And we live in the, the one of the craziest states with regard to regulation and all that here. So you're trying to compare and contrast, what do I need there versus here? And, and so I, I needed to, I needed to know where I was going to go to get this, you know, I needed a, um, I was able to get my, Texas hunting license online, but I needed to apply for, they, they allow you to do a one-time waiver of the Texas uh, uh, hunter safety course. And you have to do that in person. At least that's what the website yep. said. And that's what I was told. So I had to go to a particular place and that I was recommended to go and go through this process. Uh, there was also um, just some handling again of some, a few other logistics things. And in any, you know, I run a business, I have responsibilities, I have things. I can't just in my mind, turn all that off. So I had to go out a couple of days early, hoping that that couple of days early would allow me to kind of make sure all those loose ends were tied up, um, get myself straight from a, from a mental and physical, uh, and emotional perspective so that I could walk into this thing and be present as you, as you stated, you wanted to be. I find that very difficult to do very difficult all the time. You kind of opened up by saying you were going a hundred miles an hour, kind of coming into this thing and a hundred miles an hour coming out. I don't know if you said that before or after, but maybe talk a little bit about your process of dropping in to, to these things. Cause dude, even on Friday, I, there was a little bit of angst. I was having a really tough time in the first few hours. I mean, I was there and I was taking it all in, but I mentally, Mentally, I wasn't there. It took me some more time. Yeah. So for me, you know, coming back, coming out of it, I'll start there first, working up to the present. I basically came out of that trip 
uh, I don't even remember what day <laughs> we got back, but at the same time, I went right into shooting, finishing the shooting for a new program that'll be launched in the new year for firefighters. And so right away, I went into work mode. It's not, it's not ideal. It's not what I wanted to do, uh, but it's also what had to be done. Um, so I really, and th- this is the beautiful thing about having this conversation because outside of talking about it to my partner, Lauren, or like, really, I haven't even talked to anybody else about it. I don't even think maybe, obviously me and my brother have talked about it a little bit, but this is the first conversation. And I actually partially wanted that. I think before we yep. hopped on, it was like, I actually want this to be like my journal entry, right. you know, my thing to listen back to and to share while everything's really fresh without having thought about different mm-hmm. aspects. And so this is the first big time I've had to sit down and to do so with you. And like, as you're speaking, I'm remembering even more about the the retreat and the trip because I'm like, oh my God, I forgot about that, 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 that. But heading into it, I was going coming off of my own uh, men's retreat. So I went, I think I did that. I had three days off and then went right into this. But for me heading in that men's retreat, it was a lot, a lot of deep work. It was all men. I mean, from, we definitely did some movement, but it was a lot about dropping in vulnerably, connecting with our hearts and supporting each other all throughout different, just amazing activities from sweat lodges to ice baths to silent hikes. And so I was very, even though I was facilitating that for me, I'll say like right now, and I've shared this with some close friends, the way that I feel most comfortable in leading these things is leading from the middle. Like I don't feel my personality, how I enjoy things is like leading from the front necessarily. Mm. I like going through it. And for me, it was a neat experience because like when I go through these experiences, when the, when a container is set for safety and there's that support, I will go deep. Like I will, I will open up, let's just say. And so for me, it was an interesting at that retreat in terms of opening up to be a part of the group and being with everybody and also setting sometimes some boundaries to know like, okay, I need to facilitate But all that to say is going into this trip, I was super high on life, tired as shit, (laughs) exhausted from leading a 17, 16, 17 person retreat. Uh, But man, I was, it was, it was very, I would say easy for me to return back to that state of just like brotherhood and being with everybody because I just came out of that. Uh, Just, just being tired was the only thing that I, I would say came up. So for me, I I know I'm like this, right? And so it creates like an anxiety or an angst for me wanting to get, you know, wanting to get there. And so that's like (laughs) so counterproductive, right? Like, it's like, okay, Scott, you got to relax. Like you're here. Like you have to, you have to be here. Like whatever that is, like I said, even if it's a weekend away, you know, or, or whatever, like calm down, forget about it. Like let's, let's have fun. So you're like, you're trying to convince or persuade yourself that it's okay to do that. Um, and I haven't found a great way to do that. There was a, there were, there was a moment there though, where I recognized I'm here. And that was because I recognized I wasn't thinking about it, um, <laughs> at, at one point, And it was in the evening of that first night we were there. Cause we had gone, we had deconstructed the hog. We'd, we'd kind of sat together as a group, kind of reconnected, you know, officially, uh, as a group before we, the, the you know, again, everybody had an opportunity to learn if they hadn't and break down, break down this animal, but knowing that we were going to eat, eat that animal later, which was in, on the trip, which was a cool experience. I think for a lot of people, including me, because I was doing it with the group mm. versus doing it like solo or, or whatever else. Um, there was a deeper level there. Uh, also that somebody else was going to prepare it. Yeah. Uh, knowing that this guy had some, this guy was trained chef. Like yeah. this is going to be good. This is not only are we, <laughs> Not only are we going to get, you know, wild game meat, we're going to get it in a really cool way. But, 
Um, we, so we went through this experience and then we connected as a group and then we actually, it wasn't very long after we were, we're, we're siding in guns. Sorry. We were, so we were just kind of reciting, making sure everybody's okay and good to go. And then we went hunting. Actually, there was one thing that happened. I think it was right before that, that I, that was really, um, meaningful for me. I don't know if you recall, we wrote a letter. That's right. You we, did. We, That's it, right. it was we a did. short, it was like a 10 minute exercise, something like that. Bonsal invited us to sit down and write a love letter per se to the animal. Right. And that is what really, cause I had envisioned the animal that I thought I was going to get for months. It was this deer and like, I was going to make connection with it. I named it. There was like a whole nother level of experience. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's really a lot, you know? Uh, and it brings it back into, for me, it brings it back into the heart and it, and it brings back just an activity that we're doing to dropping into the heart and connecting with the brothers, connecting with our soul and really having hopefully an experience that's going to last with us. And like, we'll share after, but having gotten my animal or one of an animal, yeah. it it's has stuck. That is what has stuck with me. Even though I haven't shared this verbally, like about the hunt, that is absolutely still in my dreams and my meditations. Like that's been uh, a pretty, like the magnitude has been pretty high, but that love letter really dropped. I think all of us into what was actually going on into our connection to the hunt. I think you're right. I think it was different things for different people. I think there were a few of us that struggled with that a little bit, not, um, not because of the activity itself and not that we, cause we hadn't given it any thought that just that it's sort of tough to maybe write it out. And so I found myself, you know, writing and just kind of going, but before I knew it, I had a whole page of stuff there <laughs> and mine was less of a love letter and more of a thank you and gratitude mm-hmm. letter. Um, or, you know, just passage, if you will, of for all the things that were happening, right? Like providing that it was helping to provide this experience for me and that it was um, going to, you know, <clears throat> this animal was going to uh, provide for, you know, meat for my family and my friends and my brothers because we collectively were going to share the meat that was that was taken on the, on the trip. And also for helping me fulfill this rite of passage that I hadn't yet done in my life. So there were all these different different pieces to it. So it's basically like a, a three part kind of, Hey, thanks for what you're, what you're, what you're giving, giving here. Um, and there were other people in the group that had different, different things. And we shared those things, you know, to some extent, not, not our actual letters, but we were, we, we were able to talk to that a little bit. And I thought it was interesting to kind of find where, where the different people were coming from. Mm. But at the end of the end of the day, that might sound a little bit strange to people listening right now going, come on, man, you're going out <laughs> and you're killing an innocent deer. Right, you're killing an innocent animal. It's just minding its own business, grazing. But it 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 really does it really does go deeper than that. It's there's a circle of life here, and if you're respecting that, it's not. There are people who hunt for lots of different reasons, um, and a lot of those reasons for people is just leisure, or you know they find it they find sport in it or whatever. And I, it's not to say that any of that is good or any of that is bad. It's just everybody's approaching it from a different different perspective. And I thought it was very valuable for me to be checked on that, even though I had said it to be checked and asked to articulate it back to myself in this kind of a way. Cause I don't, I don't journal. Like this is not something I do. I've tried it before. It's not something I've never tried. I've tried it. I struggle with it. Um, I think you actually gave me the advice one time. Cause I think I asked you, Mike, how do you, how do you do this? And you said, you just got to write, man, just got to practice. You <laughs> just got to keep doing it. But, but uh, I, I guess my point here is it, it was a, it was a check on, was I, could I, was I capable of actually articulating this thing, uh, to somebody other than myself in a little bit of a deep, a deeper, deeper way. 
And I think it was helpful for me in going out and and to the hunt, kind of going, okay, I see where a connection to the animal could be, could, uh, could be made here. And I think I've done that here. I wasn't sure, Hmm. but I, because I did struggle a little bit with it, but I was grateful and I knew that. And that was like a start for me to kind of, I think, I think bridge the gap. Well, I think too, it's like, for me, like even before that, even though I'd visualized it a lot and stuff like that up to that point, still, there was, this is my, I've, I still haven't ever killed an animal in my life. Mm. So I still like now having had that experience going back, like it's totally, I think what it did more than anything is like plant a seed that would like continue to kind of like grow mm. over and like really if, and when an animal was taken, like it just adds a little bit, it can add something to that. Yep. But like, I don't think I ha- even knew because I had never had experienced that before. Right. So it was totally new for me. Right. Interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. Very interesting perspective. I guess I never looked at it that way. You know, for, for those of this was a totally brand new experience. I mean, even to just being out in the wilderness, you know, and, and again, the terrain and whatnot was, was interesting. Actually, (laughs) everybody was caught off guard a little bit with kind of what it looked like down there. Yeah. Uh, But the point of that being is just like your, everything is new, right. And, and you don't know what to expect. So, you know, trying to kind of keep it all together, reflect and maybe try to envision, you know, what you're going to do if and when uh, I think is helpful. It gives us some sense of security. Mm-hmm. But I know that there were some of us that struggled a little bit with that. Some of us in the group uh, that, that struggle with it. Uh, but y- yeah, so then you're right that we did do that. And then we then ultimately there was we did sit with, with the group. We got together and did a little sermon. You talked about you know, some blessings and some showing of gratitude and kind of sharing a little bit and uh, about what our intentions were. And then ultimately uh, breaking up into groups and actually going out onto the, to the property. And because there were, there were six hunters that meant there were going to be basically two hunters per group and a guide. So, so that was, that was cool. I didn't expect that. Like I didn't really know like, okay, we're taking six people hunting. It's not like there's going to be six animals standing broadside that we're all going to be able to shoot simultaneously <laughs> at the same time. So how's this going to look? I mean, on my previous hunting trips, you know, if you're out shooting birds, there might be three or four of you and, you know, you come up on a cover, you come up on a, you know, of, of uh, birds, whatever, they all take off. Everybody, everybody takes a shot and you get what you get. And, you know, that's kind of the process, but you're talking about volume, mm. right? And we're going out looking for animals that come in maybe pairs or in, in very, very small groups or, or, or solo. And by the way, I think it's important to note that it is not buck season at this time in Texas. It's does only. And that's what we had tags for. Uh, so you have to be mindful of this as you're going out. So we're, we're sorry, we're breaking up into groups. There's two, two hunters and a guide. Um, and I was fortunate to hunt with, uh, with Monsell, all, all three of my my trips, I find that I've, I found that immensely uh, valuable, but I also, I kind of miss, like, I wonder how it was to be out with Nate. Right? I wonder how it was. I wonder how it was to be out with Elijah. Cause that kid, dude, that kid's like, I, he's a feat. Like he's just born for this. Like, this is what he does. He is living his best life. He is living his dream. Uh, and so knowledgeable and so confident and so efficient and effective. And, what I loved about him was just his short, he's like, he'd give you those little nuggets. Like he was one sentence could like, you could be thinking about and pondering about for forever. He's, but the point of that was we broke up into groups and we, we get in the buggy, we head through this terrain. So this terrain was again, not what I expected. So we're in South Texas, like what two and a half hours at least South of, of uh, Austin. Yeah. Yeah. At least 
I, I want to say we're maybe less than as the crow flies an hour from the Gulf of Mexico. Yep. It was super close. I don't remember the distance, but it was super close. Very close. Mm-hmm. So, and so the weather was amazing. Um, you know, it was, it was cool at night, cool and, and dewy in the mornings or whatever, but the temperature was great. I mean, we were out there in very light cover, you know, there was, the sun was out, you know, the very light breeze. It was really ideal in that sense, but it had rained quite a bit going into that, uh, going into that week. And, and there was a river running through this property. I, th- I feel like there was like 3,800, almost 4,000 acres of property that we had access to. So we had to go. Now, when I think of Texas, I think of dry and hot. Yeah. Right. Me too. Like arid. Western. Near. Yeah. Right. Just, just, you know, rocky and um, sagebrush and tumbleweed and yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> so I don't know. I, you know, I, I didn't really expect this. When we got there, it was anything but that. I mean, it was thick woods, thick woods, tall grass, and the ground was wet in a lot of that. like Swampy kind of. Like, it was a swamp yeah, for yeah, sure, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, had we not had that buggy, there was no way we were accessing that, that property because we had to go drive right through the swamp. Right. right. And then around on this property, and then we go out, we, we went out, and we were able to be dropped off in sort of some strategic locations so that we were separated enough from one another, but not so far that, you know, obviously you could get lost or displaced or, you know, you were going to be stuck somewhere where you, you're going to really struggle to get an animal out of the environment. Yeah. Um, so, and all, we're all taking this in at the same time, right? Like we didn't know what to expect. We're just like, okay, everybody jump in the buggy. We're going hunting. So not knowing that, I, I don't know how you felt about it, but I was, I was shocked at the environment that we were going to be, be hunting. And I did not see that coming. I didn't know what to expect. Well, it was so, I had, I did not think it was going to be like that. I thought it was going to be somewhat closer to the last hunt that I was on, which was basically super hilly, like in the hill, basically like in the, in the hill country, basically. And so super hilly mountainous. It was also during that crazy Austin snowstorm. Yeah. You came, you barely made it out of there. Dude, it was like six degrees. The, the Texas entire, froze. it yeah. was so cold. Right. You're, you're just hiking through snow tracking. Like, so I thought, obviously I didn't think it was going to be snowing, but I thought it was going to be all these elevation changes and like, and even I had created like a conditioning program for the guys if they wanted to go through it before. Right. And so I was writing that for like major. Based on your experience. Not major elevation changes. Not like we're climbing something crazy in Texas, but based off of my experience. So this was totally, totally different to get that different viewpoint of Texas and to see just the diversity of it and just, yeah, and I mean, it, it couldn't be more different, honestly, because it was flat as can be. And uh, again, right in the woods and then again, very swampy as well. So for me, like going into that, like I recognized very quickly that any shot I was going to take on an animal was likely going to be easy within 200 yards mm. because you couldn't see beyond that, mm. right? The, either the the road or the trail we were walking on turned or the, the forest just got too dense. There wasn't a lot of elevation change. It was relatively flat. It was very flat, actually. Um, tall grasses. I just realized like, okay, we're going to have to do some stocking here. This is not sitting up on a hilltop with, <laughs> you know, a hundred power binoculars, you know, looking for the antlers to be going through the canyon or behind the rocks or in the, in the, in the trees of the bushes somewhere. This was going to be like, you're going to come around the corner and it's going to be like freeze. There they are or drop or whatever. They're going to be right on top of you or you're going to be right on top of them. So that, that brought a little bit of a different type of hunting. There's really, again, and, and again, my, my experience with deer hunting is 
more than limited. I had never done it before, but I had been um, out on properties where you were glassing the property and looking for, you know, for game and knowing what that feels like, you know, it could just kind of sitting, waiting, and certainly people hunt in different ways. They might bait animals or things like that. That That's not what was happening here. There was, we were not baiting animals. We were literally walking out and going to meet them in their natural environment. We were visitors, outsiders. And again, walking into this going, all right, this is going to be a little bit of a different a different experience than I had thought it was going to be, but I was also very much looking forward to it because to me that actually made it a little bit more challenging. Mm. Um, and uh, again, that we were, and I, I, I hesitate here and I don't want to, I don't, people hunt in different ways for different reasons, but sitting in a blind or sitting in a stand was not something I flew all the way to Texas. I remember to do. you said, you're like, this is not an option. I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know, like at one point that, that had become an option in, at this one part of the property. I was like, no, I don't want anything to do with that. It's not what I want to do. So I, like I was, it was, I was feeling fulfilled at this point going, okay, this is like, all right, it's, this is going to be a little bit more challenging and we're, we're gonna have to be a little bit more heads up here. We're not going to be, uh, we're not going to be hitting an animal from 500 yards away, you know, it not knowing we were there in that sense, we're going to have to be, we're going to have to use a little skill here. Right. Um, at least that's what it was for me. And you have very little opportunity. Well, not little, there's prime hours for doing this, right? So you're, you're trying to make all this, you're taking all this in and you're trying to find animals and you, you know, obviously things have to happen once that happens, but you're taking all this in knowing that you're on the clock, right? There's some level of you're you're on the clock, um, and I didn't really know the guys I was with. Right. Right. So, um, I, except for the time, the little time that we had spent together. So there's no, there's no conversation. There's no nothing. Everybody's just out there for the collective good. And so I'm taking all that in. I'm kind of observing my partners. It was my, I was first up to shoot if we'd come across anything. So you feeling maybe a little bit of pressure or a little anxiety, excitement. And how did you guys decide who was going first? I think... No, I'm certain Patrick goes, you go first. Patrick being my <laughs> hunting partner because he had just been out like two weeks prior and got hit and got an elk yep. or deer. I can't I remember. It was which, deer, yeah. yeah. I can't remember. And he's like, look, man, um, I want you to go first. He was really, he was very gracious about it. He's like, you go. And I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, 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 you go. And so that's how that happened. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So that, that was my little group. Um, yours was different. I was with Sebi the first, uh, I was with Sebi for half the hunt. So for two, we went out four times, right? Right. And uh, so I was with him the first two. And then basically it was just, it was Elijah as the guide, me and Sebi. And then it was just who was standing basically behind Elijah. So right. it was just kind of like assumed it was very like intuitive. And it's like, absolutely, Sebi, you're up. So Sebi was the first person going out. And what happened that first night? So first night he ended up coming up on a whole family of, uh, of hogs basically. And so what ended up happening was it just being a witness to all this going on, let alone being a witness for my brother. Like I was trying to step quietly. <laughs> that was magnified by like a thousand. I was like, I do not want to F this up <laughs> for him. I, I'm fine. Just staying in my spot where even, even if they walk like 20 feet above, I'm staying where I'm at. Cause you'll no. never live that down. If no, you mess it up. Man. No, no. But it was so cool to be a part of that with him. And cause I can only imagine just the amount of adrenaline at that point, what was coming up for him. But basically Elijah's super quick. I don't remember what he said, but he's like, it's like three words used. He's like, yeah. gets it up. We're going. He's, or he's, just like, <laughs> you take that one. Right. <laughs> and he sets up the sticks and Sebi gets lined up. 
and I think it was about maybe 70 yards. Okay. But the brush was really, or the grass was really high. So you couldn't really see exactly where the animal exactly was. And he's like, just Elijah told him just like aim for where you think the shoulder is basically. Mm -hmm. And he nailed it. And when we went up there, up to the animal, it was a perfect, perfect shot right in the lungs, right behind the shoulder. Animal went down right away. It was probably what, like a, you saw it like a 70 pound animal, maybe like. Yeah, maybe 70, 80 pounds. 70, 80 pounds. Which is good eating. Which is good eating, yeah. (laughs) A little different than mine. We'll talk about that. But uh, man, it was, it was, it was heavy. Like it was, it was heavy. So we just took a knee, you know, took a knee and, and Monsal had given me some tobacco to pl- place that around the animal and then basically say a prayer. And, uh, I don't even remember if I cried at that one or not, but it was heavy to, yeah. to be able to share that and to see and to feel, put your hand on an animal that was just taken. Like there was a lot in that moment or in those few yeah. minutes, it was, uh, it was full on. And so, but to share that with Sebi and That's, the, yeah. that was unforgettable right unforgettable and just to be so happy for him and like my experience with sebi is like literally one of the best human beings in the fucking world and i don't say that just because he's my brother but like exactly what you've shared about how he doesn't speak much but when he does speak it's something it's that's impactful. it's impactful it's meaning it's like there's no wasted words literally heart of gold and so um i mean i'm not him so i don't know how he felt exactly with killing the animal but what i can say is I think me and him are both sensitive human beings. And so I just had my imagination going like, man, I'm so effing happy that he hit that the animal. for him. That happened for him. And he hit the animal mm-hmm. with as little suffering as possible. And it was literally the picture perfect shot. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and I was so just grateful yeah. of like for him to have his first kill and to know that the animal just, you know, suffered as little as possible. He got it. And it was just a beautiful moment for all of us to share together. And we were just like breathing heavy for a little bit there, but it was so cool, man. Yeah. So you, I mean, all of a sudden it went from deer to pigs, right? Cause yeah. we were, we're all, I think we all went with the, like in our head, we had envisioned we're getting deer. Yeah. Like, this is what we're doing. This is like, uh, not that people don't hunt hogs regularly, um, but deer is kind of like it's the more majestic of the animals to say, to say the least. And going back to the eating part, uh, you know, like a lot of a lot of and, and, and again, the hunting part or property owner perspective, uh, hogs are often looked at as pests. Mm, right. And they're yeah. often killed just for being there. It'd be like, you know, killing predators on property. You know, they, they're looked at as competition to, you know, whatever the livestock you might be having. So if there's lions on your property, you know, mountain lions, or there's other cats or coyotes or things like that, landowners, property owners, you know, ranchers, they look at that stuff as, as, as competition and that, that, that impacts their, their livelihood, you know, and impacts their, their, their way of life and their quality of life. So oftentimes they're killed, for just being there. Right. And they're not, they're not eaten. And so I, I knew that hogs were kind of a, an option, but it, it just hadn't really crossed my mind yet. And so when we were out, when we were out, we didn't see an animal that night. We did not see one deer <laughs> that whole night. I was like, Oh, this sucks. Like, but I also, also knowing like, that's part of the, that's part of the, the thing. I mean, you go hunting, you don't always get, you know, get an animal. Um, they don't, it's not like they, they come out to greet you. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but we were on the property at the same time. So even as vast as this property was, we heard the shot. Mm. Right. And, you know, everybody stops in their tracks and go, Oh, somebody got something. Right. <laughs> like, uh, and we're wondering what that is. And, you know, we're, 
uh, Monsel, I think was, was connecting, but he wouldn't tell us, but he was connecting like everything cool. You know, somebody got something, you know, whatever. So we didn't know who or, or what. And at one point it was time to come back. Right. So it was getting dark. And by the way, that's when the hogs come out, they come out right, you know, kind of when it starts to get dark and they're, they're generally traveling in, in you know, they, tr- they travel in packs. So you'll see quite a few of them at one time. So we kind of came out to the road, we're making our way back and we're, uh, we were, we were chatting and it, it, we kind of come to a point where we were going to stop and we're waiting for you guys to come pick us up. And then, uh, <clears throat> right behind us, like at a hundred yards, all of a sudden this, there's probably a dozen of them hogs start coming across the trail and we turn around and, and immediately muscles like you're ready. And I pull up and it was dark enough at that point where I couldn't, they were moving pretty good. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't see, like I would literally be just firing into a pack of animals, which would have, I wouldn't have done, but it, they were moving fast enough and across the trail where I wasn't, I couldn't, we couldn't make it all happen at one time. And again, you're realizing at that point, one, there's more than just, you know, we're not, we're not just out here with deer. There's other stuff, (laughs) right? And there's probably other predators out here and other things too. It's getting dark. We'll get into the spiders here in a minute, (laughs) but, but the, but you're starting to realize, man, you got to be on your game. You got to be thinking about it when you're out there. And, uh, it's, there's not, there's not going to be a perfect shot. You have to be ready. Um, it's not like target practice. And, you know, again, this would not have been an ideal situation anyway, but because of the, how dark it was, uh, the range and it was the range and, and the, the fact that it was literally almost black outside. (laughs) It's not like there's, there's streetlights out there lighting things up. Uh, it was not going to be a perfect situation. So I didn't feel disappointed. I was kind of excited like, oh, well, there was at least somewhat of an opportunity here. And um, I'm okay that I didn't get I didn't get it. It's cool. And then but it, anyhow, so we, we've been sitting out there. and You're recognizing that's that is the moment that I dropped into the trip. Mm. It took me till then to go. All right. We I've arrived. I'm here. And there was kind of this wave that passed over me like again, where I went, like, I haven't been thinking about dropping in. Like I've just been present for the last hour and a half out here. And this moment was kind of like that, that moment. And I was kind of coming to this realization and nothing else was in my head. Um, and that was super valuable for me at, at that particular moment. And it wasn't 60 seconds later, the, the headlights from the buggy come coming down <laughs> and you guys are all loaded up. And, uh, when you guys rolled up, you guys were in there and there, it was quiet. You guys were quiet. And so you'd think, you know, uh, you got six dudes out there. They're all out there trying to kill stuff. Like they'd be happy and whatever, but it wasn't like that. Um, we didn't know, like, because the buggy was more or less full, we had to jump in the back and we jumped the look over into the bed of this buggy. There it is. There's Sebby's hog. Yeah. And you're just like, wow, Seb, great, great work, man. Congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. But there was, there was a respect there. Like, Hey, this, because of what we'd gone through at that point, this, this animal is now given its life. And this was an experience for, it was very, it was acutely acute to me that Sebi had just gone through this experience and I'd watched him operate up to that point. And while I didn't get to see the shot or any experience, any of the things that actually happened at that time, I was hyper aware of, of my knowledge of, of Sebi at that point. And he just kind of smiled and nodded his head. <laughs> you know, he wasn't, he wasn't overly excited. wasn't too high. wasn't too low. he, kind of realized what had happened. Um, but we all jumped in the back and we get get back. And then immediately, uh, when we get back up to the house, immediately we got to start breaking this thing down. So we were 
kind of found ourselves right back to where we had started the trip six hours earlier. Yep. Yep. And one thing that I remember, so like right after Sebi had gotten his animal, um, basically we were walking around. So we left the animal where it was because we were a little bit far from the buggy. So Elijah's just like, let's go, let's keep hunting, you know, while we walk back to the buggy. And if we see something, we'll get it and pick it up on the way. So as we're walking, he spots a deer and like Elijah's eyes, the, I forget how young he is. He's like, it's like 24 years, 22, maybe. Yeah. He's, he's a, well, in my, my book, he's a kid, but he's wise beyond his years. This guy, not just like the experience out there, but just his eyesight. Literally, he would see something, I don't know, three, four, five hundred yards away. And I'm like, what are you looking at? And then I'd get the binoculars out or whatever it is, and I'd be able to spot him. Like, this is incredible. And so he spotted a deer, and it was much closer than that. So he told me to get set up. And my last hunting experience, so when I was in that snowstorm in Austin, Texas, uh, or I'm sorry, in Hunt, Texas, we flew into Austin first, but when I was out there, so I'm colorblind. And so oh, I forgot about this. Man. <laughs> this, is, this is good. It literally colorblind. Yeah. Like, I mean, I could see colors, but like we, we might have a debate in terms of what colors actually, which one's which. And so when we were out there last time in just with the terrain and with the snow mm. and like we were, we were mainly going for, um, it was deer, whitetail, and then Audad. Mm. And so Monsel had actually like, told me there's Audad, like, I don't even know, like 150 yards uh, ahead of me, like straight ahead. And I was with him and another guy, Eric. And I'm looking through, you know, the binoculars first. I'm like, I just don't see it. I don't see it. And he's like it's lining right me up. There. He's right there. And then he puts like, this was on the last trip. He puts the rifle on, on the sticks and he's like holding it. Literally, he's like looking through this, through, through the glass. And then he tells me, he's like, just line up on it. It's right there. And I'm looking through and it just literally looks like it. I'm looking through it's camouflage. A, like I'm going through, a, looking through a bunch of just grass or trees or whatever it is. I'm like, I can't see it. So it, I was so frustrated in that moment. And then we basically just said like, okay, it's just not, not meant to be. Uh, and emotionally too, I wasn't fully there. Like I mentioned earlier. But on this one, when I when Elijah told me, get set up, let's go. And so I get set up and I could see it, but it's a really hard for me to see deer. Like just anything that's remotely the color of, of the, the background. Yeah. It's just, and this one I could see, but man, it was hard. And I had so much adrenaline. And literally that was the animal that I had been dreaming about and wrote the love letter oh to. Boy. That was Amy. That was, <laughs> that was I don't even know an Amy. <laughs> and so- I'm like, oh man, this is, this is full on. But so I, I lined up, took the shot and it went clear over, mm-hmm. over. And like in that moment, so part of the quietness in the buggy was one part of just moments before being a part of Sebi's oh. kill. But then part of it was like the disappointment, mm-hmm. the not shame per se, but like some degree of just like, wow, like this is what I've been preparing for, for nine months. And I've been like seeing this and that was it. And that was the letter. I like built up this whole story in my head and I was like, and you missed it, blew it, blew it. And I was just like, damn it. And so I was upset with myself. And so that night I ended up doing just like a meditation by myself and just like with the only intention to like ground and clear whatever thoughts and judgments and whatever. So tomorrow's a new day. Today is today. And I'm leaving it here. Um, so that was really challenging for me because again, that's exactly what I thought I was supposed to get. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up getting was very different. And now I realize how much more, how perfect it all happened, you know? So that all happened right even before we got back to the place. Yeah. The parallels you could draw with life 
in that particular moment. And I think that's a, it's valuable to, <clears throat> to base, to, to maybe unpack a little bit of that is what you expect you should have based on all the preparation and all the hard work you've put into it. And despite, you know, doing all the right things and ticking all the right boxes, there was a miss like, and you can do a couple different things there. You can, well, you can be disappointed. You can be frustrated. You're going to go through kind of this wave of emotions. Everybody kind of handles those things a little bit different. And then it's how you respond beyond that, whether that's in relationships or, you know, life, business, uh, competition, finance, whatever it happens to be, right? You have to sit back and you kind of, kind of think about it and you got to get out of that because mm. th- that, that does you no good. And I certainly would, uh, would not have want to been hunting with you, like standing side by side. If you were in that mindset going out onto the, going in, into the hunt, I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's interesting because I do remember you sharing your bit of frustration, but you kept it, you kept it, you kept it down. Like, and then at some point at, at or around dinner time, you had left and you just explained what you were doing at that time and came back in and you, you seemed great. So I was not completely aware of all of that. Uh, but I can tell you, like, I wouldn't know I don't want to be hunting with somebody that's dealing with all these other things and isn't in the moment. Mm-hmm. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> and, uh, I'm glad you, I'm glad you came around, but again, that's the same thing. I wouldn't want to go into business, somebody that can't get their head out of their ass about some shit that happened. That's out of their control now mm-hmm. or, or whatever else in life, whether it's a relationship, whatever, it's like, Hey, you're entitled to feel however you, you felt like let's, let's, let's deal with that right before we move on to the next thing. Cause bringing that in, in this case to the hunt would not have served you or anybody else on that, on that trip and s- certainly wouldn't have served the animal. Right. And you know, the, what you're trying to do in terms of, you know, the intention that you were trying to trying to fulfill in the first place. So I think that's an interesting point. Again, I was right there with you guys the whole time and I wasn't picking up on, on that energy in that way. Mm. Uh, that's wow. I do know that feeling to some extent. (laughs) Uh, so as we got into the, I think, you know, just taking a couple steps forward, then it was, it felt very familiar. All of a sudden we're standing out, um, in the stand that would, the the animal gets hung up. I remember actually jumping right into it. Uh, is Elijah again, he's, he's all business, right? (laughs) So he jumps out, like he would pull the hog out of the truck. He puts it, he gets it ready to, to to come up on the hang and, and hang it up. And, I was just there kind of trying to help him kind of facilitate that. We got it up there and then it all felt like really natural because we had just broken down that hog a few, a few hours before and said, we got an opportunity to, to, to go ahead and get started. And, and then everybody got an opportunity to contribute if they wanted to. And there were things that were being learned and taught, you know, along the way, but there was moments that were being shared about the hunt and everybody's experience. Cause there was another group that had been out that had also been unsuccess, uh, unsuccessful, like, like yep. us. <clears throat> they had seen animals, but they weren't successful. And, and so we were getting to share stories and you're learning from this experience. And there was a sense of being relaxed and congratulations to Sebi. I still wasn't picking up on, on that energy. You were doing a really good job of, you know, making. Well, I think it was like, it's like when we're breaking down the animal, when you're with Sebi, like it's it like our thoughts, right. They happen so fast. So it's like, hopping in like being with Sebi and like oh my god this is fucking great and then in the quiet moment when it's maybe not my turn or not up there then those thoughts come in it's like they often come in in the pauses right yeah so but no it was uh yeah it was interesting and even just breaking down that animal there's something about it you know even though I'd been on the last hunt there's something about it that feels familiar 
there, you know, and this is an experience I had on the last hunt. This really came up for me and something when you were sharing your intention about like honoring the lineage and the rite of passage and not something that we used to do as, as, as men, especially hunting, going out with our fathers, going out with our grandfathers. And so there's a familiar aspect. And so when we were uh, breaking down the animal, like I just remember, like I haven't done that much at all in my life, but just like it felt familiar and it felt like I've done this before. And I think that was something in some way, shape or form that other guys had mentioned as well. I think, you know, and so people that are look, you know, on the outside looking in like hunting, how can you do this? Like yet, you know, you're going to consume the, you know, the same, same type of person may consume what's, you know, uh, harvested, you know, from a hunt, they don't understand the connection to it. So when you look at, uh, in this case, because this is what I'm most familiar with <laughs> men, you know, and, and, and connecting with other men, particularly with, with men in, the, in your own family or whatnot, or your brothers, you know, both biological and non-biological brothers, you know, getting together that there's as much there that goes into hunting as anything else. And mm-hmm. for some, it may be even more. So I think some people still, again, they kind of look at it as this is cruel and you're, you're taking an innocent animal's life and, and, you know, what's the sport in sitting, uh, you know, with a rifle that you can hit an animal at 800 yards that doesn't even know you're you're there? It's more than that. And, mm-hmm. you know, in harvesting the animal, every part of that animal is being used, right, in some way or another in most cases. So uh, that was cu- sort of becoming real for me in that particular moment with, with some guys I wasn't very familiar with. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we, were, we were sharing those sort of sort of those those moments as we're going into to uh to the evening and then we got to go in and obviously share a meal together and that's time for everybody to kind of relax, let their guard down and we shot the shit a little bit, <laughs> you know, just the typical maybe dude stuff, you know, or whatever that, that's happening. But it was a, it was a kind of a cool transition to go through the day. And at the end of the, at, at the end of that night, I really felt like, again, I was in that, was in the zone and I was there and I wasn't trying to think about everybody else, which is one of the things I shared with the group that I have a really hard time with is my observation of everybody else and seeing what they they're doing and how they're reacting to situations. And oftentimes I internalize these things and I don't need to. Part of it is me. Uh, when I say observing, just like, Hey, who is this person? What's their personality? Like, how do I make them feel more comfortable? What's clearly making them uncomfortable? Um, how do I contribute, you know, in a meaningful way? Uh, when's the right time to say something? When's it not, not the right time? And I actually found myself being very quiet. Um, and there was some observation going on uh, when I might be a little bit more active and trying to kind of drive things. But I recognize I'm in a group of guys right now that don't need that. Mm. Like they're carrying it and I'm part of it. And you said kind of leading from the middle. That's kind of where I'm not comfortable. I'm usually more comfortable leading from the front. And I found myself in the middle. I don't know that I recognize that until you just actually said that a few minutes ago. But in the middle and I was kind of starting to relax and finding like really enjoying all the things that were happening in the trip and reflecting on things and being very excited, but not, not in an anxious kind of way, but being very excited for an opportunity the next day and in the next morning and having the table sort of set with, Hey, here's your hunting partners for tomorrow. Tomorrow, this is what it's going to look like. We'll see everybody in the morning. We're getting up early and we're going to go. You know, one thing that I just want to touch on that really brought something up with what you just shared about, like, you being quiet on the trip. And I know we had a conversation about that. Like, you were, uh, at one point, you're, like, not concerned or something like that. But I was just, like, it's, one, I think it's so flipping healthy to, one, be a part of the group, but, two, to honor exactly where you're at. Mm. 
like there is enough of a container, like you're my boy and everyone in there was super cool. Like, and that's, that's in my experience, what's so special and unique about getting a group of guys together with a container of safety or we're like, Mm. like I know you and like, so for you to honor exactly what you needed, which was to pull back a little bit to retract, like for me, the only, the only, just to share my experience and not that it matters too much, but like how I was experiencing it, I was fucking celebrating you. Like I, I was just like, fuck it. Like you're doing what you, you're still a part of everything. Right. Still a part. And also just like sometimes in life we need to step back a little bit. Like we need, especially as men, I really do believe, and this wasn't a trip of solitude, but I really believe we need times of solitude of no one, no, no like just on our own to figure just to sit with and be with ourselves and not engage and not interact and there's different people, extroverts especially, who maybe get energized by groups of people. And I will still say, in my opinion, there's tremendous value in going out and just being alone. And so for me, like how I experience, especially like anyone, or, or let's just say another example, like we serve, I served a uh, rape tobacco right. on one of the meditations. And, you know, even though I'm serving the group, if someone tells me like, you know, I'm going to sit this one out. Like for me, what, what it brings up for me is fucking celebrating that person for being empowered enough to just know like, Hey, like I would still love them to be a part of it, sit down and just like enjoy the space with us and share energy. But like when someone really stands up for themselves and honors what they need, irrespective of like, Oh, what is the group going to think or whatever? Maybe those thoughts are coming in. That's a fucking moment of celebration. Like hell yeah. And so whether it's in rape, that's another thing that comes up. Cause some people are like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm okay. And like, there's hesitation. I'm like, no, good. If it's a no, it's a no. Right. Just like Monsel's told me too, before, you know, when you're, uh, when you have the animal in your sights, it's like checking in with yourself. And if it's a no, it's a no, like you don't pull the trigger. Right. And just like what you said, when you were lining up and it just wasn't right. And I think listening to that is the skill that transfers in every other aspect of our life. So I just want to take a moment, like celebrate you because like, I recognize that you were being quiet and I was like, cool. Like, hell yeah. It's my boy just doing him still a part of this whole thing. Still awesome. And yeah. Thanks brother. And I did feel comfortable in that moment. Like in it, and maybe not truly recognizing it. And something came up for me the next day that we'll we'll get into um, in another ceremony that really made me take stock of, of that, uh, of solitude, breaking away, not needing to be in the front, uh, and leading all the time in whatever that might be, businesses, relationships, uh, certain scenarios, you know, whatever the case. But, you know, I went to bed that night, uh, and I didn't go to bed. Actually, I was so relaxed. If you remember, I sat out on the couch. Oh yeah. You slept on the couch. <laughs> yeah. You slept on the couch the whole trip. I did, man. Cause yeah. I was so damn comfortable out there. Like I just, I just, I pulled my hat down over my eyes and there was still a little activity going on. You guys were still up and I fell asleep. Next thing I know, I was like, I'm not moving. I'm staying right here. And I, I slept so good that night. Uh, woke up the next day. was charged up. Like we got up. I had some, one of the tragedies of the trip was somehow the coffee thing got missed. Like we had no decent coffee there. Like, so, so I got up there. I was able to scrounge up some horrible coffee. I made some awful sludge and, and put it in my system. Uh, because that's part of it. That's a ritual for me. I got to have my coffee every morning and, and we got together and we got out. Now we, we, we go out and it's, it's for me, it was the same groups. I don't know if you guys got mixed up, but I was with Patrick again. Yep. Same group one more time. And it had been decided that I was going to go first again in the morning and we get out. It's cool. and It's wet. 
and right away we're already seeing you know movement uh and i was like this is it and we had uh, we saw it and then there was none and then we were we got out to the edge of the property now there's a fence line right on this property and on that fence line um on the other side there was these massive massive beef cattle (laughs) like i these guys are eating good. And Patrick, who was, you know, from the, ranch. you know, yeah, he was a rancher in the dairy industry. He's like, dude, those things are, those things are, are massive. And they're, <laughs> they're all hanging out over there on this, on this property. And as you're looking over there, there's deer over there, but it's on somebody else's property. You cannot shoot those deer. And um, so immediately, not only are we seeing deer, but we're seeing bucks and we probably saw a half dozen of them. Right. <laughs> so we're like, when we can't shoot those things, even if they are on the right side, but so, you know, immediately we seem like, okay. You know, like it's going to be a good morning. Like somebody, we may even have two people coming back with the animals today. I wasn't getting over anxious or excited, but I was like, let's just say our, our, uh, <laughs> our opportunity is high. It's a target rich environment as they say. So, uh, anyhow, we'd gone through, we'd been out probably 90 minutes and there wasn't really anything, you know, on our side. So we were kind of making our way back to the drop-off point and we're, we're coming down sort of a road trailway area and we come up and I, I look up and there's three heads sitting there kind of in the, in the, in the roadway, clear shots. Wow. And, uh, they're, they're sitting at about 200 yards away. Um, maybe slightly closer. If I remember right, I mean, maybe like 180 yards. So very good opportunity here. And so the first thing is, is we're confirming, you know, Monsel's looking through his, his, his binos and I'm looking through my range finder and sure enough, these are does. There's no, these are not young males. Um, and, and I don't know that people didn't realize this or people, people may not realize this, but, but these deer, they shed their antlers every year. Mm. Right. So you have, you know, when you're out there, I mean, when you see these massive racks on the, it's the fastest growing tissue on any, any mammal in the world. <laughs> like it's, it's crazy how fast it grows. But when you see these huge monster racks on these big elk or big deer or whatever else, those things were just, those were grown in the, over the course of a course of a year so but at the same time like where we are in the season you have to be careful you're not looking at a small buck from a distance that may have little nubs you know sticking up (laughs) or whatever so there's a when you see them you have to confirm so you confirm you're shooting you know you're shooting a a doe not a buck so we did that fairly quickly and it was like okay i'm ready to go right and interestingly i remember so I'm ready to go. I set up. Now I'd, I'd only shot off shooting sticks. And I got to be honest, I wasn't really comfortable shooting off this. I'd almost rather just done a standing shot. Oh really? But yeah, but we had practiced, um, out on the range the previous day, the previous day when we had arrived and I went, yeah, I could pull this off. I mean, I, I would always prefer to be on a firm base. Like you post up on a tree and a log, something like that, or even shooting prone. But, but, uh, I do feel comfortable standing with that rifle wow. shooting, but what I was just kind of like in the moment, I was like, yeah, everybody's using the sticks. I should use the sticks. It's fine. And by the way, the sticks have nothing to do with the rest of the story, just that it was part of the process. So we set the sticks up and we're, we're kind of, and we're being very quiet, very still. And they're just kind of grazing. Heads are going down. Heads are coming up. Heads are going down. Heads are coming up. And a couple more deer pass through. So there's a big group of them. There's this one doe I've got my eye on and she's standing broadside. It is the perfect shot, right? So I, 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 draw down on this thing. I've got her in my sights and she starts to kind of move a little bit. So I'm waiting. I'm hesitating. She's, she's walking now across the road trail and she's standing, still standing broad. So all I need her to do is pause Mm -hmm. and we're going to be good to go. Now 
as I'm standing there hurt, I'm starting to get a little nervous because she's starting to get a little closer to the edge. And I know as soon as she stops, I need to take a shot. I don't want to hit her while she's moving or attempt while she's moving. I'm not that skilled with that rifle. So I'm not going to try and do that. And just as she stops, I'm taking this deep breath in out of nowhere, a buck from the same side of the trail comes out and stands right in front of her, <laughs> literally two feet from her. And so uh-huh. two things go through my head. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like you just literally stepped in front of my shot and she's going to move out of the way. I'm going to miss my opportunity. And remember there were a couple of other ones out there that I could have been on maybe before, maybe had an opportunity, but I'd chosen this one. Number two, he's staring right at us, <laughs> right? So I'm going, not only is he staring, he's blocking my shot. He's staring right at us. And pretty soon he's going to recognize that he's staring down the muzzle of a 300 wind mag and two dudes with, with binos staring at him. Right. And he's going to take off and he's going to spook him. And it's going to ruin this, my opportunity. But if it doesn't stop there, so first thing out of Monsell's mouth is he's like, don't shoot that spot. Don't, you know, don't shoot. Hold your water. You know, or something like that. He said <laughs> something like that. I go, I got it. And and I'm realizing, like, I'm, re- I'm realizing now the buck kind of turns and he's chest forward to me. He was broadside a minute ago or a second ago. Now he's broadside and he's literally walking straight towards us. I'm going, this isn't getting any better. Like, so I'm staring at him and he's in, still in the still in my shot line. I cannot take a shot on this thing and I'm waiting. And so now he kind of starts to veer a little bit to my right or his left. He's starting to open up my shot again, but it's very, very tight. Meanwhile, she's in the back looking like, and they're, she's looking because he's looking. Hmm. So he's got his head up and he's walking towards us all curious, like some dopey, you know, <laughs> idiot testosterone drunk, you know, a doe or a buck who's a, walking straight into danger because all he cares about is the other does around. He's coming up. And and again, I think Monsell's like, do not take that shot, right? Do not take that shot. But from my angle, I, pr- I probably could have snuck it in there. Mm-hmm. But I waited and I hesitated. And at this point now, the doe moves a little bit to her, you know, across the trail, my left, and the buck comes a little bit more to my right. And now the shot is there, right? And so I'm like, I have to take it. And I realize in that moment, a lot of things go through your head. Like people talk about everything going into slow motion, not being able to hear anything. You know, you go into tunnel vision, you see what's, so I am not nervous at all. I recognize at that moment, my heart rate is not up. Hmm. My breathing rate is totally normal. I'm totally comfortable in the moment. I feel, it's not that I feel confident. I just feel calm. And I'm like, all I need to do is go through my progression here. Deep breath, exhale you know, and squeeze that trigger, be surprised by the, you know, by the, uh, by the gun going bang. And I go through the whole steps, go through the whole thing. And I'm like, as soon as that, as soon as that thing goes off and again, big kick from the gun, you're not able to, you know, things rattle, yeah. right? So you're like, you have to take a second, collect yourself. And I'm trying to come back to the scope. I'm, re- I'm loading another round into the chamber just in, just in case. And, I realize she's still fucking standing there. And then it dawns on me. I fucking missed. Like I sailed that shot straight over her. Like there was no kick. There was no like from the animal. There was no turning and running. And this all happens very fast. And all of a sudden the buck takes off running. Cause he's scared as a blast, you know, of the blast or whatever. And then the doe takes off and I'm standing there. And the first rush is like, how did this happen? Like I'm in total disbelief that I've missed. Um, like this just is not a possibility. There's no way I could have not, I can see taking a bad shot, maybe being off hitting or more in the body or in the high net or something like that, but not a, a complete miss. Where were you aiming? 
I was aiming right behind her shoulder. Right be- it, it, okay. I, you could not have painted a more clear wow. shot. It's wow. exactly what I was thinking. I was Ooh. like, and in my head, I'm going, wow. <sighs> what in the... So immediately, you know, Monsel goes, hey, man, how you feeling? And I go, and then the next thing hits me. It's like, I'm so disappointed. Mm. Like, at first it was shock and disbelief, and then it was disappointment. And then all the things start flooding in, I assume, maybe very clearly to what you felt before with, with I've just blown my probably the best opportunity I'm going to have, at least on this trip, maybe ever at the range, at the position in the environment, you know, it's perfect, you know, lighting every, I mean, it couldn't have been, couldn't have been better and I've missed it. And then I'm standing there and I'm going, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand what, what just happened there. And it's clear I missed, but I still can't understand how I missed. So I walked away from that at that point. Like we're, we're now I'm feeling anxious. Now I'm feeling like we have to find another deer, mm, right? Right away you were feeling uh, that, like, yes. yeah, like get me back on. We ha- Yes, I yeah. got to get back on the horse, which is typically me, you know, like <laughs> it's too, oh, you just got hit in the mouth and got knocked down. You better get back up, you know, like it's time to go. Like you got to shake that off. You can't sit in this moment at all. And it's time to move forward, which is what I was kind of alluding to before. Like you got to shake that off. I have other people here. Like it's other people are sort of dependent on me bringing me to the table. We all came here for collective reason and I have shit I'm trying to get accomplished here. And that's what I immediately went to. Like I have to fulfill my goals and not taking a moment to step back and go, what had happened and why did it happen that way? And reexamine. And again, character flaw, maybe in a sense that I don't take the time or I didn't, I don't take all every time to recognize both the failures and the successes uh, or the successes I should say, and just sit in that moment for a minute and kind of peel back the layers of the onion and try to understand how I was connected to that. Like, it's easy for me to figure out like what box I didn't check, you know, or something like that. But this was deeper than that. And I didn't really understand it le- yet till later um, that afternoon. Um, but I think, you know, again, the disappointment was, uh, was, heavy and I hadn't felt disappointment like that ever. And part of the other thing that's going through my head is like, I'm not going to go back to all my friends. I got to tell them I missed. Like I I have nothing to show for my time. I mean, I put put all this effort and energy into this trip and I'm here. Um, But then very shortly thereafter, I recognize I cannot be, can't be a little bitch. Like you, you got Patrick here, you got Monsell here. We're all here trying to get the same thing done. I'm not going to be a downer on the party, you know, or whatever. I just got to, I got to lick my wounds and walk away from this thing and try to do better next time. If, if there's a next time. So, um, I haven't told that story yet. Well, yeah. I didn't, I definitely <laughs> hadn't heard. It, so. I mean, it was, there was a little comedy in it, right? We were literally laughing out there when this buck steps out. Right. <laughs> so there's this huge wave of emotion that was happening. Like it's this excitement. Oh my God, I got this. Right. And then just as I'm getting ready to squeeze, this thing pops out in front. Right. And, and Monsell kind of giggled a little bit. He's like, are you fucking serious right now? <laughs> like, and then he started to move, but he didn't move the right way. He started moving. He was still, he was coming right up on us. That thing was going to get all the way to us. It was so, and then it went back to, okay, now you're ready. Go ahead and go. And then the disappointment, then the disbelief, then the disappointment. There was all these things that happened in such a very short period of time. I can't remember experiencing that kind of an emotional roller coaster in a very long time in my life. Um, What's so crazy about that is like, so much like we're I don't even know how far we're in 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 this in this talk but like we're only in the morning of day two right we're like by the time we got to the place I don't even know we're maybe 14 hours there 
And this is so much has happened. So much has happened. And that's the thing. Like people say, Hey, so how was the trip? And it's so rewarding, <laughs> you know, so valuable, you know, <laughs> cool. When do we get to eat? Yeah. Well, we're not going to do that. But <laughs> so, um, I think, you know, that was my, that was my experience. That was my one and only opportunity. There were, there were a lot of other animals seen opportunities that, that, you know, they, there weren't really opportunities, but there are other animals seen the rest of the trip. Um, if I just flash forward for a second before I get into kind of some things that happened that afternoon, which I think were, were really valuable for everybody. Right. And, and for you particularly, um, was, the next day when we had gone out, I remembered all of that. And one of the guys, I had a different hunting partner that day and he went through a very similar experience um, where, and he hadn't had an opportunity yet that I'd hunted with him the night before. And we just couldn't make this. We'd stalked this animal for solid 40 minutes, which was fun, which was really fun and really rewarding. I mean, it was, we were out there. We had to continue to move around. You're, you're moving through the, through the tall grass, through the, through the forest. And, and, uh, we just couldn't, couldn't get a shot. Right. And, but I'd been part of this process and I'd watch Pedro just be so intent following instructions, really being skillful in, in a way in his first experience out there and, and watching him come away, not get anything mm-hmm. uh, that night. I felt for him because I didn't get anything that morning and I wanted him to, to not feel what I felt Right. I, I so wanted, I so wanted it for him. And then the next day when we went out and again, jumping ahead here, he, you know, was decided, I said, Pedro, you go first. Mm. Right. So, and this would have been our, our last day. Um, when we went out, almost the exact same thing happened. Uh, this very, very large hog pops out. We're going to say somewhere between 250 and 300 pounds this is very big. And I'll relate that in a minute, how I, why I think that, but He's out there and he, he comes through this area, this very open area. And this is, we're a little over 200 yards is for a pig that big. It's a pretty easy shot, right? I mean, was he uh, solo? Or was yes, he, he yeah, was yeah, solo, yeah. but only for a minute. Huh. So this thing was being very active and he was going back and forth. And again, you're, it, it relates back to, there's no perfect situation. You are going to have to be prepared to improvise and to be skillful and to, you know, operate at a high level at a time that might not be, you know, what you planned. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he's doing this. And as he's right, as this thing's finally slowing down and finally stopping in a position to really take a, 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 a shot at a still animal, a buck pops out of the bushes, <laughs> the exact same thing that happened to me the day before and literally stands in front of this thing. Like, and Monsel's, he just, he turns around with his eyes big and he looks at me like, and I go, it's gotta be me. Like <laughs> this is because of me. I felt bad for Pedro. I'm so sorry, Pedro. This is all my fault. Oh, right. Man. And then there was like this, this game being played between the, the hog and the, and the buck. And this is a big buck too, where the, the hog was trying to chase the buck off. And so again, this comedy of what is happening out here with this interaction. And then, you know, the, the story continues where he was not, he was not successful. And I felt everything that he felt when he, when he, when he was not successful with this, this hunt. But again, there was this, this realization to me that nothing is, that is hunting. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is, you know, you can have all the intention and I, I kind of try to put myself in the, in the position of the person that was out there hunting by necessity. Mm. Right. And the wave of emotions that they might, they might be wow. going through in a similar situation if knowing that if they don't get this, they may not eat, right? Or they can't feed their family. 
or, or whatever. And, and those situations exist to this day in our, in our country and in the world. And it really sort of brought a whole nother thing to me, like Scott, get out of your, stop having your little pity party here. But at the same time, being able to relate to hunting those particular situations, life and all the other things going on in my life, kind of all at the same time, is pretty powerful. Wow. Did, uh, wow. That's a great realization. And, uh, did Pedro take a shot though? He did. He did. Yeah, so he, he did. Missed as well. he, he missed. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, that was a little bit of being an inexperienced marksman. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of the way we were set up. There was a rise in the hill. I, I think there needed to be some accommodation. And afterwards, we talked about it. We sat, you know, him and Monsal and we talked about kind of how that probably happened. But I could see the disappointment in his face. And I, there, it was palpable. Um, and I felt that for him. Um, but, yeah, he was not successful and. Uh, quite frankly, I don't know how we got that fucking thing out of there. If we got him, <laughs> he was huge. He was huge. Well, it's one of those things where I think going back to what you were saying, it's like you could prepare as much as you can for anything in life. You could have your intentions and prepare and put in the hours and like all that is to hopefully increase your chances of success. But at the same time, there's so much that's out of our control. And I think like, I really do believe that on the last hunt, I was not meant to get an animal. On this hunt, I was. And all that to say, like, I think that that roller coaster of emotions and dealing with it and putting it aside and feel like all of that is a part of the experience. And mm-hmm. it's that's why in the beginning I said it's like, yes, this is about, you know, killing an animal, bringing it home. But there was so much more to it just in the conversation we're having and like, you know, wins, lessons, brotherhood, community, like highs, lows, like folk, like that was amazing. I didn't know that you were so calm, like with, with your shot. And one of the interesting things that Sebi said, and then that I experienced when I had shot and I'll, I'll share that in a moment was we didn't hear any, like I heard the shot, but it was literally, and I, I don't even think I actually, I think with Sebi's, I was wearing ear protection I think with mine, I, I mean, it happens so fast. Like right. If you take out the time to take out your ear protection, put it on, like I understand like if we're at a range or whatever it is, but like in that moment, things happen so quickly right. and the seconds matter that like I don't even remember the sound happening. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if you go back to what we were talking about earlier when we were practicing, my, I'm shaking because my right. nervous system is just so tweaked out. Right. But it's all, you know, whether you get one, you like it's it's all got something to teach. And then I think too, it's like there's so much value from just being the witness of someone else, like me witnessing Sebi and then we witnessing another guy, um, one of our buddies, Tyler, take an animal. Like I, it was, it was different, but it was so like so many emotions of being happy. And then like when they miss, like being sad or, or all those things that there was so many lessons around it, that all that to say, it's like, you can prepare as much as you can. And I still would do the same thing to prepare going into it because I think that's all a part of, getting more out of the experience, but also honoring the animal, right? Like showing that you did the very best that you can. If you've never shot your rifle and you're going out there, it's like, for me, that doesn't show as much respect as you could. If you were going to kill an animal and not going to eat the animal, that does not show very much respect. So there's all these things that to prepare, to honor that animal, but then it's out of your control. And your job is to navigate that experience, hopefully in a productive way. And part of that means potentially being in the shit. And part of that means, okay, like what you said, 
you got to tell yourself, quit being a pussy right now. Right. Fucking move on. Right. We still got more. You still got your brothers. Right. Like we still got to keep this show going. You got to pick it up and, and keep moving. And I think again, you just articulated it. If my missing and then being there for Pedro's missing, mm. those things were supposed to happen for a reason for me. Like, and that it wasn't until after Pedro missed and I started to feel things in a little bit of a different way and observe things almost as if I was outside looking in, outside myself, kind of looking in for me to look back to the day before. It was very easy for me to put the disappointment piece and the disbelief piece behind me and go, you know, there was a reason that that happened the way it did because I can't explain it otherwise. Right. Like, and again, you could chalk it up to, man, you just took a shitty shot. Yeah. You could chalk it up to that, but I don't believe that that's how it went down. I think there was, there was another reason there that the, the moon, sun and stars, <laughs> you know, aligned for that to happen the way it did. And, and, and same with the next day for, for me to walk away. And so when people say, so how was the trip? And I say, it was fucking amazing. It was so valuable that experience. And then being able to step outside myself and reset myself, recal what it was, was a recalibration mm. for me. It was dude, you need to sit with this and recognize that this is, this is how it went down. And there is a reason it went down stop fighting that. Um, think about all the things that you, the rewarding things and the valuable things that you can extract from this experience and how you can put that t to take that forward with you and the things that you're doing and the projects that you have at work and the relationships that you have back home outside of, you know, the hunt. Um, and I mean that, you know, at home, at work, in, in family and things like that, what you can take, moving forward in what you said, which is all the best intentions in the world, all the preparation, all the hard work, you, you can't plan for everything. And it doesn't mean it's going to work out the way you want it to. I am so, I'm so charged up moving forward. This podcast, this actual podcast, I've been, I broke from the podcast for several weeks. This is going to be the first one I put out and in almost two months now wow. because I needed to step back because the intention coming in wasn't what I had originally intended it to be. It had changed a little bit and I didn't feel focused um, on a lot of things. Um, and that, that moment, those couple of days really kind of brought it together for me to be able to approach things in a little bit of a different manner. That's why doing this and being this one to be the first one to be to, for us to drop after the break was so important for me because it really is going to set the tone um, moving forward for me professionally, but also personally. But speaking of setting the tone, I mean, so Sevy gets this hog on the first night, right? So he set the tone kind of for the trip. Oh, like, so we can't be successful, right? But we go out day two. Now the buggy comes back, right? <laughs> on day two, when we when we get picked up in the morning after my not so great experience. And uh, holy shit, you got to tell the story. So we go out in the morning. So it's me, Sevy, and Elijah. And again, Elijah, just to echo, is just just a phenom like i heard that eagles can see from i don't even know how far up some ungodly distance up in the air can see like a dime like the head of a dime and so that's that's elijah for us but he's just got just tremendous experience and knowledge of the environment and that type of place so we get out there and then we're this is like within 30 minutes of getting out there in the morning on day two and i had processed as much as I needed to process the miss from the day before. And I was like, whatever's meant to happen will happen. And very much like you, like I didn't quite know that we were going to be hunting for hogs as well. Like I had envisioned the deer. Like, mm -hmm. so 
for me, when Sebi had got his, I was like, in my head, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm glad that that happened. Maybe I'll have more chances at a deer now. So I kind of ruled out hogs in my head. Once Sebi got it made a little more real, we go out there all of a sudden, like 250 yards away, there's a single massive, massive hog. Right. And just Elijah super quick goes, shoot that thing or something <laughs> like that. He gets set up and or he sets me up and it was cool because I, yeah, I didn't have ear protection because he was kind of coaching me through it. And so we set up, we line up and in that moment, which was so wild, like my eyesight's not the best and my color blindness, not to make a cop out, but it's like, there's a lot of pressure. It's, a factor. it's, it's, it's definitely a factor when you're shooting for something for 250 yards and accuracy is very, very important to this whole thing. So I line up and it was so wild that like normally when I'd seen the deer before and stuff, like you had space around it, you had sky, you had trees behind, and then you had the animal. This hog was so big, even at 250 took yards, up the whole field of took view. up the whole thing. I was like, Oh my God. And for me, like what was really cool about it is like the deer has that lighter coat, right? The hog, the contrast between the grass and the hog skin was like black for you for me i was like okay thank you we need to get your FLIR set up man let's just shoot some infrared stuff (laughs) (laughs) so we line up i see it and then all of a sudden like there was no like there was no thought no like it was quiet like i had adrenaline but it was all like i wouldn't say calm but it was infinitely more calm from the day before and i really think that miss allowed me to shake out a lot of the nerves mm. so that it was more like lineup, set up, shoot, execute. So I went through my thing in, out, hold, pull the trigger. And I mean, the 300 wind mag has got so much kick that you're exactly right. Like you don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not able to line back up and see exactly that quickly what happened. And I was like, did I get it? And he was like, oh yeah, you got it. And the way he knew that is because there was one upon that impact, there was so much smoke that had come up in the air and dirt and dust. So as we start walking towards the animals, I realized I was like, this is a far shot. Like this is really far. Right. And we keep walking, keep walking. And then we come up on it and it's this huge, like 250 plus. It was least. It was probably closer to 300 pounds. That's not like a fish story. This thing was huge, (laughs) dude. It was big. It was, it was big and it ended up being 247 yards away and it was a headshot. And so I was like, so, so happy. It like literally dropped right away. Clean, clean headshot. Now I had been aiming, it was moving. So basically one thing we didn't say is Elijah is also a taxidermist. He does taxidermy, which was great. And so he was like, as I'm like getting set up. So there's, there's definitely things going on and I'm trying to get lined up and he goes, try to shoot above the shoulder underneath the, underneath the skull. So it doesn't ruin the skull and like giving me things. I'm like, Oh fuck. So I wasn't actually aiming for the shoulder. I was aiming for more like kind of like the mid ish neck area Uh right underneath the skull. And then I think what happened is it just moved and I, you know, it just happened to hit right or it was slightly off, whatever it was. I was aiming for around the neck, but ended up getting it right in the head. And so, but when I saw this thing in front of me, it was like, thankfully I had Sebi's smaller hog to kind of prepare me a little bit right, more, right. but, and I had seen an animal kill on the last hunt, but to actually be the one to execute that yep. was totally different, totally different. And so 
when we looked at this animal, and this is why I'll also say like it was happened exactly as it was meant to. Its ears were like shred, like shredded, like it had gotten in fights. Both. Oh ears. yeah, it was. He was weathered. He, he was, was scarred. Yeah, scarred. It was probably like a five to a six year old boar, you know, and it was on its own. And you could just see like what you shared in the beginning that boars, you know, they're kind of like a nuisance, right? So they're hunted at all times of year. Whereas like when you think about deers, you got these seasons. So. For me, what this boar represented and looking at it with scars, I was like, this thing is a warrior. He's seen some shit. This thing has yeah. seen some shit, been in some fights, and is still here. And, avoid, and avoided hunters. And avoided hunters. Right. The whole time. And I was just like, and so all I was trying to take all this in, just like looking at the ears and then the, um, just the, the teeth, like right. these things are like massive yeah, and impressive. so sharp. Like you touch it, like you could easily cut your finger. Yeah. The, to the 200 and what'd you say? 40, 247. 247. Yeah. That's a long way. But one thing you, you didn't, we really haven't talked about is when you shoot a hog, generally if you're hog hunting, you're also carrying a sidearm mm. uh, because these things are very, they can be very aggressive and they can come at you. And you, if you can't get another round in the chamber and off, you know, very quickly, it, it, things could be all bad. Um, the point of that is, is that that hog dropped pretty quick. Right. And you're going into the tusks and the razor sharp teeth and whatever it becomes a real reality when you're standing right over the top of one of those things. If you got into a tussle with one of these things or if two of these things got into a tussle together, you're talking National Geographic type shit like they're 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 pretty formidable animals. And I'm sure you'll get into that in a little bit in a second. What we discovered about that, how just how tough they are. But but yeah, man, so you got this headshot, this thing's laying there and did it run at all? No, it went Just right dropped. down, but then you're exactly right. So like Elijah actually, he either, I forget how he did it, but he basically had us have the muzzle down pointed towards it and kind of like poke it a little bit. So just in case, yep. but what happened was, cause it was a headshot. That's all the nervous Nerve system. Center. Yeah. So it was twitching, you know, that, that in and of itself was like traumatic, like seeing this thing that was like clearly out, but also twitching, you know, every few seconds, maybe it's not like you see on TV, right? No, right. not at all. And so we were able to, you know, I asked Elijah if we can just take a few minutes to just like, if I could just say a prayer for it. So sprinkle tobacco over it. We said a prayer and then, um, man, this thing, just, just getting it with us three guys. Like we're not sm like, well, Sebby's small. I'm kind of small, but like we're strong dudes. Oh, you mean moving the moving thing? this thing? Oh, yeah. I don't know how you guys got that fucking <laughs> this thing. thing in there. Like two to three hundred pounds of yeah. this man. It was so, it, we barely got it in the back of the buggy, yeah. and so we get it, and then we end up going back. When we go back and start lifting this thing up, hurling this thing up to start doing it. So to give you an idea, so Elijah is taxidermist, does this thing non multiple times a day. Yeah. incredibly skilled. Yeah. He probably can break down. I don't even know if he wanted to like a deer in matter of minutes. Min, yeah, yeah. Very quick. Get it. Especially if it's hanging versus, I don't know what he could do in the field, but hanging, he was making sure he made short work of that deer on day three. But yeah, I think with the boar, with him guiding it and doing the vast majority of it and then us helping for sure. I think we were out there for almost two hours, two hours, two man. hours. Yeah. Yeah. Skinning that thing was something. Well, the crazy thing is, and I had no idea about this, but boars have basically like shields on their shoulders, like thicker skin, fat pads and everything. Just getting the skin off this thing. I think we had taken like a hammer just to hear just the sound of it. It was oh, literally yeah. like hitting like cement. before. Yeah, on the outside of the skin before it had come off. Yes, over that shoulder. Yeah, it's like a, think of like a, a massive callus. 
you know, on the side <laughs> of this thing is kind of what it looks like. So, you know, like bow hunting on something like that, like you got to really have some, some tension, you know, in that, in that bow, but yeah, it's, you're not going to win against one of those hogs. And it, I think for a while, I think we were losing while we were hanging, while I was hanging there trying, trying to skin it. Everybody was getting worn out. This thing was, this thing was wearing people out. Dude, I was exhausted. Yeah. Just like my triceps trying, like once we got up on the shoulders or like the mid back area, it was just like, and it was interesting, like normally with an, with another animal that's got thinner skin, like the skin just drapes off. It, it's like a fold, right? Whereas this was like, I don't even know, like a three inch diameter, half of a cup. Like that's how much it was bending right. over. If you can visualize this, if you're listening, it's just like, that's how stiff this thing was. But you know, with the owner, older animals, they say it's not as tasty. Yeah. So a little tougher meat, a little gamier, a little, yeah. So the prep really matters, yeah. but I'll tell you what, like, and this thing has like come up in meditations and dreams, this sort of stuff, just the magnitude of this, like I will absolutely, absolutely be eating every single ounce yeah, of that. You'll thing. do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes. <laughs> that thing just like respect to the animal yeah. and, uh, yeah, we're going to have plenty of food yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see the uh see the final product, get the processed product out here. Again, we were we were hunting for the collective which gave a little bit of different meaning to the to the trip. Um knowing that that if you did get something you were contributing and if you didn't get something, um it was okay from like you're still going to get the rewards of being part of the trip and your contributions, you know, at whatever point. And I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, just again, that it, the animal just kind of gives in so many different ways. The trip will give in so many ways. And at some point there'll be some fellowship, you know, whether you're getting together with your family, your friends or both or whatever, or just on your own and sitting down and sort of having some kind of connection, you know, again, to your food, which was your goal, you know, and your, you know, your intention in the first place. I'm looking forward to that because while that wasn't necessarily an intention, um, I've already thought through kind of what that may look or feel like for me whenever that stuff does arrive. So um, I'm I'm anxious anxious to get it. But I think one of the things I took away when when you guys rolled up with that thing was obviously the size of the animal is pretty big. Um, and I do remember the look on your face when you came out like there was a smile ear to ear. Like didn't there wasn't much to say. Like yeah. And then 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 again um, again there was a lot of time spent uh, you know breaking breaking it down and. and kind of taking it to the next level. And again, Elijah was doing work out there as a taxidermist, which was, well, there were so many things that happened on this trip, but, but I think that again, at the end of the end of that day, that being the morning, you know, us going out into the afternoon, um, and, and into the evening kind of just brought a whole new meaning. Like we've already got two animals here. There's been a couple of misses at that point. Um, there was some disappointment people, there'd been kind of a race of emotions and, and, the trip was kind of all coming together for, for people. There was a moment, you know, in the afternoon that, that day where we, we had sat and gone through a little bit of ceremony there and then had an opportunity to, to share and go on, go into a hike, go into, to a moment where, um, we were kind of able to connect it a little bit of a, of a different time. And I kind of want to talk about it for a minute. And I think it's very personal. Uh, I don't know how much mm. of it we share or don't share, but, um, you know, and from a group perspective as well. But I wonder if maybe you just kind of walk us through your experience there and, you know, kind of maybe set it up yeah. and, and talk about kind of what the takeaways for you. Yeah. For me, for that ceremony, it was, uh, you know, a lot of times in ceremony, they happen where you're just sitting by yourself and you're, you're just in your own experience. And that can be really powerful. 
the one thing on this trip, which was unique and it, and it was really due to the, the kind of the terrain, like being so wet and stuff like that. When we were going into ceremony, like the decision was made that we were actually going to be walking. And that's really, really, really unique. So when you're, when you're working with this stuff, um, to be able, and you're doing it in silence. So we say it's like noble silence. So basically we go out, we have a little opening ceremony starts and we're basically all just kind of hiking in single file line quietly together. And that for me is such a special thing because when I'm sitting in a ceremony and again, it's just me by myself, that can be powerful, but oftentimes, not oftentimes, it, I can sometimes get into a loop. And I think sometimes people do run through these mental loops when they're in this stuff. But when you're walking, you're like moving so much energy and there's so many things you're looking at. And the cool thing was, was so that morning is when I had had the kill. But then that afternoon, one of the things is we were hiking on this noble silence hike. Monsel was taking us through like the forest, mm-hmm. like ducking and moving and climbing and jumping. And it was like, I don't know, maybe two ish hours or so. Yep. And for me, as I was going through that whole experience, it was as if like I was walking the path of that boar, mm. like really understanding what it was going through each day, what it saw, what it ate, like the terrain, just like having a whole wealth of knowledge outside of just maybe seeing it on the path. Mm. Right. And so for me, you know, I'm thinking back to that, um, I mean, the, the taking of the animal was such a heavy experience for me. Monsell said something to me, or I think he had said something more or less in these words that when you take an animal, it's believed that a part of that animal's soul you take on. And those words have like really stuck with me, like really, really, really stuck with me. And so, you know, even though I thought I was going to get this like majestic deer and all that stuff, <laughs> and then all of a sudden I got this just like warrior. this, this yeah. fullback, right. you know, <laughs> with scars all over, uh, going through that hike and, and moving through the emotions of what had just happened literally hours before and walking through it's like, for me, it was just reliving everything from a very different perspective, but a much deeper perspective. And I remember we had taken a pause, uh, to sit on a log and I, we stopped moving. We stopped moving. Right. Yeah. Take pee breaks and stuff like right. that. And I had asked Monsel, I go, Monsel, would it be okay? I asked him actually before, is it appropriate if we can do some tobacco on the, on the trip? And so uh, the tobacco I'm talking about is something called rape. So it's like a tobacco powder that you, uh, it's a snuff that someone, or if you do a self-applicator, you can blow it in your nose. It, there's so many different types of rapes out there, but the main two ingredients are going to be tobacco and ash, sometimes some other plants, but it can be amazing for cleansing, for grounding, for clearing. And I use it in meditation. And so doing it in nature is such a powerful thing. And so when we sat down, I like looked at Monzo and I was like, I took out the, my little um, jar, let's say of, of rape. Uh-huh. And I like asked Monzo just visually if, if I get a nod and he goes, yes, go for it. So we sw- stopped for a few minutes and that was one of the most beautiful and powerful tobacco mini ceremonies I've ever had. And like, it's, there's just even a lot coming up around that, like the soul of that animal or that is what was felt or that's what I experienced in that moment, feeling so connected to land, looking around, usually my eyes are closed and then I open it up and I just see forest. And there was just so much emotion that came up in that. And it was just tremendous gratitude, but also like fucking feeling the weight of what just happened, feeling all of it. 
And so, um, it was a, for me, it was a beautiful experience, but the whole thing was really just, uh, as I recall, it was just connecting with that animal where it lived. And then, you know, once we all kind of circled up at the end to kind of share our experiences and eat some fruit and stuff like that, um, it was beautiful to come back in the group and kind of share. Cause I think that's part of like within any ceremony for me, the name, not the name of the game, but the important thing is the integration is mm-hmm. like, how do we actually sit back, reflect on what happened? Yep. What are the lessons and how are we going to actually make our lives better? And for me, that integration, that circle, that sharing, which we don't usually get to do, especially as men, right? The ability to share and express around other guys, especially like there, even if, even if I don't want to say if nothing was said, cause it's all about, I think sharing what's in your heart, but even if it was nothing of importance that was shared, let's just say nothing of like just the act the of sh- just yeah. the experience of sharing and, and other guys holding space and listening. And we all listen, we all learn from each other. Like that for me is medicine in and of itself. Right. So for me, it was an incredible experience and it added so much like visceral richness to the experience. Cause I think like what we talked about when I got back home, I didn't want to per se, but had to go right back into work. And so to have that time on that silent hike to sit with and be with everything, um, it was huge, man. Share, please share a little bit what came up for you. Yeah, I think so. Very similarly for me, I had kind of been challenged with, again, the, the working from the middle piece um, rather than in the front and then feeling sort of comfortable, you know, in the evening kind of being in the middle and then going out in the morning, going through my experience of not, you know, not being successful and then coming back in the afternoon. And, you know, I, I have limited experience with working with the natural medicines, but my experiences have been good. And in going into this one um, and being, being very open at this piece, again, remember I had at this point, I had disconnected from work. I had disconnected from all the other things that were going on and was really trying to experience everything that was happening in the now and being very connected to myself and, and the people and the things that we were learning and doing about ourselves and about each other. And going into that, you know, we had gone out uh, onto the property. And as we started hiking, what I found, I was getting distracted, right? It, colors were more vivid, sounds were more clear, and I was in nature, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing that that really dawned on me. Like, I felt connected to it the first night and even the second day. Like, it's just beautiful. We're out here. There's, there's no traffic. There's no noise. There's no ambient. Like, I... It, where I live, any, at any given time, I can hear the trains, I can hear leaf blowers, I can hear traffic, cars honking, motorcycle engines, you know, gunfire, you know, there's, I mean, I, I'm not kidding. I mean, there's any number of things. So sirens, you know, just humans, and it drowns out uh, and takes away from the other things that are there. I mean, we're, we're in nature, but we're in the concrete jungle you know, that's, that's displaced our regular nature. So you see things, you see birds, you see squirrels, you see, um, I, we even see birds of prey in our neighborhood, you know, hawks and things like that. We'll occasionally we'll catch them, you know, going after a squirrel or going after another bird or or those kind of things. But everything's basically been humanized, you know, at some level. And when we were out there, you know, you are, you're, you're taking it in. If you bring, if you pick your head up, you stop looking at your feet, you know, Mm -hmm. as you're driving, as you're walking down the trail or, or whatever, you start to take in all the things that exist. Um, you know, I had mentioned the spiders. I mean, <sighs> massive fucking spiders in Texas. These things are on like steroids. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> dude, they even, when we were driving one day, I just have this visual. I don't know if you were in the buggy at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah you were right next. Yeah. So we're driving and we're talking spiders everywhere. Yeah. Massive. Everywhere. Yeah. Uh, 
one just like hits when we're driving, hits Pedro in the chest <laughs> yeah, and you're like a, right next to a thud. We're talking like big bulb in the back. Actually, the night before I was thinking about doing a, a tobacco meditation the night before outside. So I get all set up. I got all my, my tepe, <laughs> the pipe, and I got the tobacco. I sit down uh, with just my sandals outside in the grass and I like literally sit for like 30 seconds. I'm like, this is not a good idea. Oh, no. This is not a good idea at all yeah, to be out here. It goes beyond that because at <laughs> during that Saturday, during that, that Saturday morning, right, we had, dis- one of the groups had discovered alligator eggs on the property. Yep. And so now you're recognizing, holy shit, there's like <laughs> spiders. And there was, there were, there were definitely coyotes out there. We were seeing tracks and, remi- and bobcat. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and scat out there. There was bobcat out there. Um, lots of hawks, birds of prey out there, um, that kind of stuff. But now you're coming up on alligator eggs. Now, I at no point had it ever dawned on me that there might be alligators on the property in the swampy area that we're just trucking through casually, <laughs> you know, on a little nature hike. So not only did you find eggs, we actually found an alligator, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's there's all of this like you're in nature, and so it's it's kind of the comedy piece of it, you know. As I'm I'm recognizing. And again, the, the greens are greener and the sky is bluer and the sounds are crisper and everything is just very vivid. And you're starting to kind of drop into the moment, into this new moment in a new way. And what I recognize is there, there were some of you guys that were out in front of me a little bit. And I found that very distracting in my moment. Like I needed to be alone in that movement. And, and I was like, I wanted to be alone. Not that it wasn't cool that other people were there because I could feel you know, eventually I'd moved myself forward enough in the group or disconnected just enough to where you were out of my, my, everybody was out of my field of view and I could feel the presence and I could hear you walking. That was okay. But I didn't want you in front because it was drawing my eyes away from what we were in the middle of. And it, I, did, I don't think I really recognized it at the time. Um, but how important that is for me in life mm. to get, to put myself in positions this is what I realized later after to put myself in a position where I can disconnect. And you, you mentioned the term solitude and how important that is, particularly for me as a man stepping back and just kind of recognizing and taking in a being present with what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it, uh, B how to express that in a healthy and productive way. Mm. Um, and then see how to use those things that I'm now learning to move, move forward. Right. And, and not stay, stuck or stagnant or, um, uh, in, you know, in the worst case scenario, moving backwards in the things that I'm doing, but also being okay with being still for a little while, which again, the way I think I described it to you guys on the trip was popped up. This is something that came up in a, in a meditation exercise I was participating in. I was having a really hard time with. And one of the guys had told me, he's like, look, who's sort of leading it. He's like, look, man, I got I have a really hard time. I had a really hard time doing this when I first started he, he goes, but you got to learn how to quiet your puppy. And I go, what? He goes, he goes yeah, it's like you got a little puppy in your head, right? I go, oh my God, that's exactly what I have in my head. The thing, you know, you're just trying to keep it occupied, right? And, you know, if you let it out of your eyesight for a second, it's going to get into some trouble, right? And so that's my, that was kind of my thing is I was trying to quiet my puppy. And then I recognized in order to do that, all I needed to do was just pay attention to what was going on around me. And again, in nature. Mm. And I recognized it was during this, this hike or this walk, I, I had been very connected to nature growing up. And for maybe the last 10 or 
you know, 15 years or so, I gotten a little bit more disconnected from it, you know, challenges with work, life, whatever, there were just other demands. I want to say challenges, it's demands that sort of took me out of it. And then from an access perspective and a time to access it, you know, living in the city in a major metropolitan area, it's just harder and harder to access that. You know, I mentioned going out this pre trip call where you can't even go to the park without hearing a leaf blower or some kid screaming or, you know, a motorcycle ripping down the street or whatever else. That's just where I live. That's the environment I'm in. But how important I used to go out into the wilderness for days, Wow, you know, for days wow. with friends. I'd done it on my own. Um, whether that backpacking, camping, fishing, you know, experiencing, I was all over the Sierra Nevada mountains as a, as a kid and as a young adult. Um, and I wouldn't even think twice about it in the winter, in the snow, in the summer, in the spring, you know, you just, you, we pack up our, you pack up your stuff, your backpack and had no hesitation to do this. Like, and no, there was no fear of, of whatever you were very aware. It wasn't ignorance. You're very aware of wildlife and the things that could happen out there from injury for state perspective, those kinds of things, weather exposure. But I'd, I'd been disconnected from it for a long time and I found myself all of a sudden recognizing how important it was for me to reconnect with that because I was doing it in that moment. Wow. And uh, again, feeling like I had to move ahead to get away from from seeing other people try to do it or do it. Then I started to kind of get into my head a little bit with like, is this a problem for me? <laughs> like, do I have to be the leader all the time? Is that why I'm out front? Like, and then I would go back to, no, this is about being feeling like I'm alone in, in nature, but also being supported by others at the same time. Cause you guys are present. Then I go back like, no, oh, maybe this is a, maybe this is a problem for me. Maybe I need to examine this deeper. And, and at the end of the day, I think it was both. Like, I think, it, I think it was, it was both. And that's what I realized that I need to do a better job of really giving, not giving up, but giving into allowing other people to have more of, you know, whatever it is in my life that I can give to them, not because I'm trying to unload it on them because they want it and they, they want to support or they want to, they want to be a part of it. And I can, you know, and in doing so it could add to their development, right? Mm. It could, as a person, you know, as a human in their own, their own re relationship with themselves or with me or whatever. Um, and at the same time, what it takes for me to do that, to get to that place, to realize that I can or should be doing that is for me to get out into nature more mm. and, and, whether that's through hunting, which I have full intentions of, on doing. I've already got a trip planned in March to go bow hunting for some turkeys, which nice. I'm super, super pumped up about, um, and share that experience, you know, with other people. But, but just getting out for hikes or getting out, you know, into the open where you are devoid of being distracted. And no cell phone. No, no oh cell phone. Oh, my God. No cell Taking phone. that cell phone. So I've been on trips, like weekend trips or getaways or whatever. I think we spent a few days in like Mexico. You know, Cece and I got out of Mexico for a few days a couple of years back. I think that was the last time I put the phone in the safe. You know, they had your little safe in the in the room. And I remember how good that felt to do that. <laughs> but I still had to go back and check it because there were things going on that I felt like I needed to be connected to. Well, this time I did the work ahead of time. And I said, I'm telling you, even if the place is burning down, <laughs> you will not be able to get a hold of me. I will be completely off the grid. It was the most cleansing thing yeah. I had done in a long time. That's how the trip started. Just like, I don't have access to the phone. Even if I wanted the phone, I couldn't get the phone right now. That's kind of the way I went into it. And the the better part about that was, is like at the end of the day, like you remember on on Sunday when we were all packing up to go, some of the guys had already kind of dug into the box to get their phones back. That never even crossed my mind. <laughs> I, 
It never even crossed my mind that I should have my phone back. I, I was still in the in the experience. And it, at the end, it was like Monsel had come out with the bag. It had two phones left in it. Of all the guys that were on the trip that had given up their phones, he's like, I still have two phones. And I go, do I have to take that thing back? You know, and I sat down and I grabbed it. And I, I knew I needed to make one text message. And that was to, but I knew as soon as I opened it, like all the texts and all the emails and all the things were going to be there. All the baggage was going to be there, but I knew I needed to make one text message and I was very hesitant to even open it up to send it. I needed to send one to Cece cause she was in Austin at the time and I need to let her know, Hey, we're getting on the road. I'll see you in a few hours kind of thing. And we're alive and I didn't die. <laughs> right. You know, cause I not communicated with anybody, you know, including her. So I, I did that. And then I put that phone in my backpack and I did not touch that phone until we stopped for lunch oh, on the wow. way home. And that was only to touch base back again and say, hey, we're a half hour out. I'll see you in 35 minutes or whatever. Because in the ride up, we were sort of all downloading. And that me, you and Tyler, we were riding back up to up together. We we're sort of downloading our experience and kind of sharing and but also Again, I think it was just kind of unloading some things as they were all starting to process. We were now in the car. We knew we were probably returning back to reality. We were all getting news about something. I was trying not to get any of that news. I still wanted to, st I wanted to stay in that moment. Yeah. I wanted to stay in that experience for as long as I could. And I reflecting back on, on how I can return to those things, that kind of state more frequently is nature is the pathway for me. And um, also you know, connecting with the right kind of people and particularly the right men to share those experiences and learn from those experiences so that I can continue to do that better and continue to provide or increase value in my experiences moving forward. I cannot, I cannot imagine what it would be like if I plan that into my life regularly, mm. right? Whether, you know, it's monthly or bi-monthly or, you know, annually or whatever, whatever level I know it has to get done. And so that's the next kind of journey for me is to figure out how to make that more happen more frequently. Do you imagine it's going to happen with hunting as, uh, as, as a, as a key part? Or I, I can't imagine going through next year, not going on another sacred hunt. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Like I, agree. I, I couldn't, and I couldn't imagine like that, that uh, it has to happen. Like uh, just from, even if it was just about the brotherhood, mm -hmm. you know, perspective, that would be enough for me. Right. Uh, it, if I got, if I didn't get another animal, you know, if I, if I never shot a deer right on one of these trips, I'd be perfectly fine with it. I know that like, uh, there would be no disappointment. It would be like, uh, it just, just didn't happen, you know, or, or, or for whatever reason, again, I'm, we keep saying deer, it doesn't have to be deer. There's a lot of things. I mean, you said odd dad, which is an amazing animal in and of itself that you were looking for or hunting before. There's all these different opportunities, but I couldn't imagine not, not doing it that way. But hunting is definitely, going to be a part of of this journey for me moving forward it has to be and, and and again it's not as if i had never done anything like that before just not in this way it didn't have the same kind of meaning or purpose yeah so i totally agree. i don't know about i don't know how you feel about that or how you program that in i know you're doing a lot of men's work in your you know and that's sort of your, your vision for where you're taking things as a professional um and you shared with me before, you know, how much, how rewarding that was for you. And you really feel like you kind of found your space now, but is that how you do it? Or do you need to be able to separate yourself from it and do more of these types of events or experience more of 
something different, I guess, would be the, the question. Yeah, I think for me, like, the, even though, like, I'm going through a process when I'm facilitating a retreat because I am participating in some of the activities, like, I am opening up. Like, I really do believe that it's important for, like, myself and some of the other facilitators to model certain things. And so to model what vulnerability and, and be willing to put ourselves out there because, like, just in the men's retreat that we led, like one of the comments, especially for guys that were brand new into like personal development work is they were like, wow, like seeing you cry, Mike, or you cry, Nico, like that gave us the permission to. And so while I am definitely growing and working on, on myself on this stuff, I really do believe this is something separate. Like I like mm. absolutely like for sure once a year, maybe up to once a quarter or whatever it is, like having time, whether it's in solitude, maybe once a year in solitude, I'd love to keep that as, as a goal mm. for even three days. I did it this last time and it was great. Um, not on the hunt, but just on a, on another trip, but to set up once a quarter or something like that, or twice a year where I'm going through an experience with guys just for myself. Yeah. Where there's no, may, maybe each one of us shares some gifts. Like I love like guiding a rape ceremony. Like that for me is, a, I, I love sharing that. And if that's available and the guys would love it, then I would happy right. to, and I don't have to eat as well. But for sure, at least once, twice a year, three times a year, time for me where there's no expectation yeah. to facilitate, to lead, to work any logistics, because all of those things pulls you out of the experience. Like we just, you just shared a tremendous amount of value on just what not having just a cell phone had. Right. Imagine trying to, in some way, lead you know, teach sixteen guys or work logistics on food right. or whatever. Right. Guys having a problem with his sleeping arrangement, whatever it is. So for me, like, and this was this was one that we organized for my community, just my closest friends, basically. Right. And so what I and and this one was very much, even though we had organized it for our friends, like I was very much a participant. Right. So like I was going through it full full on, which was great. And so whether it's once a year, I would love to do a once a year sacred hunt and also maybe one or another time a year doing just a, a just right. a men's retreat. I think it's absolutely critical to take that separation, take that time to get that one nourishment and get that perspective and get that reflection back. Like yeah. something that you shared that I want to touch on real quick was like when you had watched Pedro miss. Mm. So this is something that Lauren tells me sometimes, and I may have even brought this up on podcast when me and you were here last time, I think. And sometimes like I can be really hard on myself, like really <laughs> self-critical. And and that's, you know, it's two sides of that coin. One, it's driven me to perform at a high level and expect a lot of myself. And the other time it can be pretty self-destructive too. Right. And so when I'm down on myself or not even aware, like I'm saying, oh, you did a shitty job on that thing or whatever it is, could have done way better. Lauren would always say like, please don't talk to my friend that way. Ooh. <laughs> and like, I'm like, Oh, oh yeah. Like I would, wow, I wouldn't talk to a friend that way. And like, so it was just a really interesting check for me and how I've been talking to myself in certain times. And so I'm curious, like with what you, and just, uh, what was coming up is when, how hard you were in those moments on yourself, oh, yeah. but then it's a different story when it's with Pedro and he misses uh. <laughs> and like, for me, the lesson in hearing that was like, you probably wouldn't tell Pedro, Pedro nope. like piece of shit or whatever, whatever's going through your head about yourself. Like, why did you fucking miss that? And, uh, no, you're going to probably be a little bit more compassionate, maybe look at it a little bit more objectively and mm. things like that. And so I think 
like that's really where there's tremendous value in these things, whether you are the person hunt, like actually shooting, where you're the person supporting, where you're watching, where you're sharing, where, like all those things I feel like are incredibly nourishing to the human experience, especially the development of men, where going back to something you said earlier, you used the word like rite of passage. Like we don't have that nope. today. You have to consciously go out. There are no tribal elders. They're not, you know, we may have elders that we rely on for wisdom, but even that is very rare. And most of them in Western society haven't gone through a rite of passage that they've been guided through their elders like we would normally think of or read about maybe. And so to have this experience in this way, with this container, with these types of activities, with these brothers, all done in this way, like this is, I feel like the conscious choosing of a rite of passage. And I feel like even though, you know, the first one might be really impactful, I feel like every single time it's always different. Mm. We're always in a different place in our life. Our brothers are always in a different place in our life. Every time you go to this this new environment, the animals, all that sort of thing, it's all unique and it's all different. So um, while maybe like a first rite of passage may be its own, you know, sacred thing, I feel like that's why I love what you're saying. That each year sets up the next set, one. Set up the next one. And like, you know, again, I didn't get one on my first one. You didn't get one on this one, but it sets up this next one. Like now, like again, I had all that build up with with the first year, and then I really understood like for that boar, what that represented to me is like the areas in my life that I am absolutely fucking showing up as a warrior. Right. Like there was a reason why I got that and, or maybe to invite more of that in, in certain situations. Be okay with that. I'm, I'm, I'm learning. Like I'm, I'm learning to like, one of my things is like, I feel very comfortable in holding space for like in retreats and stuff. But one of the things I'm stepping up and stepping into is learning how to command space Mm. in a very healthy way. And that's one thing that what that, one thing that that boar represented to me was like the the encouragement and like the invitation to bring some of that in a healthy way, in a grounded way, and actually command space. So for me, there was so many parallels, but I wouldn't have got that if I only went on the first one. And so each one's been te- like, I'm excited to go for the ne- the next one. Let's just say that. Yeah, I just, me too. Yeah. I mean, likewise, man. And I mean, we already we need to start planning this. Yeah, right? <laughs> we need we need to start planning this because if it doesn't get on the calendar, right, yeah. it's it's just gonna get missed. Or it doesn't it doesn't happen, but uh, I think the 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 moving forward piece, like you said, is we we don't have these opportunities in society, particularly here in our current one that we used to have, and you, all the great things that you learn from your grandfather and your and your and your dad, you've learned from your dad, and you're getting from your brother. Those are all things that you take with you for the rest of your life, and each one builds on the on on the other one. But there are certain experiences that you know, need to be shared outside that, that, that click or that the family, if you will. And, you know, it's interesting. The, the group that we came, the group that we were with came from all different places. I mean, all different places, but the commonality in it all, there was no, again, and this, this probably could be left unsaid, but I'm going to say it anyway, politics, religion, background, culture, any of that, none of it, none of it mattered. What, what was, what, what was common to everybody is that we're, they were all there showing up for a purpose and everybody was respectful of whatever that purpose or their intention, that intention was. And it's amazing how much value you can extract when people honor that for mm-hmm. one another. And uh, again, we don't do that. When I say we, I just mean the collective. We, we don't do that. We don't do that as men. 
We get these mixed messages about what's okay and what isn't. We hold on to things that ends up manifesting itself into poor or self-destructive behaviors. Um, we, 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 we overconsume or over, uh, you know, get overly involved in things that probably aren't healthy, you know, in the, in the, in the long, in the long run. And it doesn't have to be like that. You, you need to take a step back and you need to check yourself. And it's easy to, it's, it's easy to find yourself going down that, that bad energy pathway. Yeah. And it's even easier to go, ah, I'll just ride this out. I'm, I'm tough. Cause that's what you're supposed to do. Right. That's what dudes are supposed to do. And and there may be some truth in that in certain situations, like you need to suck it up and just kind of get through this. Um, but at the same time, holding all the time and never giving or let, never letting that, let that go or providing an experience for yourself where you can let other things in to then maybe purge some of that other stuff out in a healthy way. Uh, I believe is, uh, you know, one of the things I think men in, in current, in our current society, you know, lack the most, they just don't have, they don't have the space to do it. So I intend on making that space and finding ways to do it with the right kind of people. And, uh, I would encourage anybody out there that may be listening to this, do the same because, um, not that I'm an expert on this, but I can tell you if you could extract a fraction of the value, um, that I extracted from this experience in some kind of a similar experience, the, and, and more men did that, the world would be a better place. <laughs> so that might be a little bit much, but uh, I, that is genuinely the way I feel about it. But Mike, man, I want to thank you for coming down and allowing me to tell that story um, and, and open up about it. Uh, it's a little different than I would typically, typically do. Um, you know, again, I think you got more out of me than I kind of maybe knew it was in there today. So I appreciate you brother. And thank you for sharing, you know, and, in, in and you do a really good job at this. Most of the time, it's one of the things I value about you most is your ability to share and articulate your own feelings mm. and, and how those kind of relate. And I, I'm always able to extract something from this, you know, from the, from those things. And so I want to just thank you for being here today, giving us, giving me your time and, and uh, just being a great brother. Dude. My pleasure, a hundred percent. I'm so happy that you like when I brought up the hunt. Like you were just like right away. Yeah. You're like sign me up. I was like fuck yeah. yeah, all right, let's do this. So yeah, thank you for just. I mean, just being on there with me, you know, and like got to spend time with you, got to share this experience with you. I'm looking forward to more. Yeah, and, man. And just uh, again, this is the first in depth conversation, way in depth conversation that I've had since then. So for allowing me the space to do that, and then like you brought up so many things that echoed and resonated with me and taught me. So. Uh, my pleasure and thank you 100%. You got it, brother. We'll uh, have to do this again soon, promise. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.